Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World with our regular series on Star Trek. We cover every season when it's over and I have my regular bridge crew, but I also have a special guest red shirt today, Ryan Downey representing, but uh, we'll introduce everybody in case this is your first time. I know there's a lot of people that are watching uh, Strange New Worlds that haven't watched a lot of the other series, so this may be your first time. Uh, I'm David Agronoff. I am the host of this here podcast. I am a author and science fiction, amateur science fiction historian. I do another podcast called Dickheads, which is devoted to the work of Philip K. Dick. And that's where I kind of get my interest in this. I've been a lifelong uh, Star Trek fan. Ryan knows this better than anybody because <laughs> he's known me the longest. But uh, yeah, in the Star Trek for a long time. Uh, joining me today, Sarah Lynn Mishner is one of the most active and vocal Star Trek fans I know. Queens of Star Trek shitposting, really uh, vocal and active member. Sarah, tell the folks who you are and what your history with Star Trek is. Uh, well, I was raised by conservatives, so Star Trek was my third and best parent. And I was homeschooled, so I used to watch Star Trek when it was on the UPN network, um, like six hours a day. And I, I was eight years old when TNG premiered and I was just like gaga over it from the beginning. And I, it sort of represented everything that my upbringing was denying me. So I just needed it directly into my veins. <clears throat> Been a huge fan ever since. Isa, now, the folks who have watched our shows before know you and Sarah, uh, but uh, you're a longtime Star Trek fan as well. What, what's your history with Star Trek? So I grew up watching the original series on reruns. Uh, I was in high school when Next Generation came out and that is my favorite Star Trek. It just kind of is exactly what I want from Star Trek. Um, I've also really enjoyed pretty much every other season uh, show. <laughs> I did not prepare remarks in advance, but um, I'll try to do better in the future on the fly here. Right, well, we might need a little bit more of an introduction for Mr. Ryan J. Downey, who, by the way, is a, a very old friend of ours from the hardcore scene. But Ryan uh, is very well versed. He does two podcasts himself, including Speak and Destroy, the Metallica podcast. And he is a bona fide rock and film journalist. He is He's the one of us who uh, has actually met the guy that plays Captain Kirk in this season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And uh, Ryan, tell the folks who you are, what you do. Uh, well, as a Metallica podcast host, I'm, I'm, I'm well versed in defending later eras of things that older fans don't like, uh, which happens with any fandom anytime anything new comes out. The thing that everyone hated last time now becomes the classic thing in fact for anyone uh who cares or knows about metallica that can relate to this i've had guests on in the last year or two oh i know who, where you're going with this who will say things like um my first metallica album was death magnetic my first right. metallica album was saint anger <laughs> yeah so it, it's uh it's wild w weren't even born 
when uh, records we consider to be old Metallica, right? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I had someone uh, our age refer to the Black Album as new Metallica recently, and I was like, you know, they just did the 30th anniversary for that record, right? <laughs> like literally the 30th anniversary has already passed. It came out like five years ago in 1990, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, and and I think there's a, there's a nice parallel here with track or any kind of fandom where, uh, yeah, the thing everyone used to be mad about becomes the uh, classic that's now sanctified. Cause I, cause I also, you know, I know people in their early forties who straight up don't believe me when I tell them a lot of fans didn't like the black album, let alone yeah. just won't even listen to you. If you say a lot of fans didn't like injustice for all. Uh, so, you know, much like the introduction of star Trek, the next generation, when exactly. people were up in arms, um, exactly. like who are these people? I hate this crew. Why are they wearing pajamas? Whatever. You yeah. Know, um, <laughs> so I, so yeah, there's a, there's a nice uh, parallel as you just pointed out. Uh, with being involved in different fandoms. Uh, yeah, my, my Trek bona fides, as it were, I grew up watching the original series in syndication. Um, you know, not so old that it was still currently airing, but it was, uh, it was on TV a lot um, on, you know, local, local channels. And Channel 4. Like Channel five, 4 in five Indiana. 5 o'clock every day, we watch the same... Uh, exactly, we watch the same syndicated... Yeah, I, I uh, didn't realize TOS. it was still on network TV. I watched it on, like, the UHF stations in D.C. Like, I, I but mean, no, Channel 4 was the independent. Oh, okay. um, yeah, the it was, yeah. And, and it was also on the weekends sometimes, and there'd be marathons. So I was really into that, and I was into it enough that I remember when the next gen was starting, I want to say Dave and I were in middle school. Um, yeah, right yeah, at we that time, and uh, I remember watching Encounter at Farpoint, and I remember the I think it's right before the first commercial break when Q shows up, and he's very like fanciful, and uh, I don't know, he's wearing like a Shakespeare outfit or something, and I just remember in that moment being like, "Yep, this feels like Star Trek in all the good <laughs> ways and bad." Already in seventh grade, you know, like like right. wow, this, pi this pilot's already given me exactly what I wanted and exactly what I don't want, but also want. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, TOS is still the one for me. I love Next Generation. Uh, Dave and I have had this conversation many times about the difference between best and favorites. Um, I think TOS is probably the best, but Deep Space Nine is my favorite. I could easily be persuaded that it's the opposite, that Deep Space Nine is the best and TOS is my favorite. But, uh, and then my, my uh, blind spots, as it were, is I never watched all of Voyager consistently. I popped in and out of it as it was airing and never went back. Uh, similar experience with Enterprise. And uh, other than that, you know, I, I want to say going back to Wrath of Khan, I've seen every Trek theatrical release in the theater when it was mm -hmm. like first run, you know, and, and for some reason there was an era... I've never missed an opening day for a Star Trek movie uh, from day. motion I, picture I, I, on. I can't claim opening day, and I also can't claim motion picture, but uh, but I can I can claim Rathacon forward. And there was a weird era, I want to say end of high school or just after. I used to, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine who Dave knows named Tiffany, used to work at the Greenwood Park Mall. And I would, uh, when she would go to work at the Greenwood Park Mall, I would go to the $1.50 movie theater and just see movies by myself endlessly. And I watched, uh, I want to say, 
of course i'm on a star trek po- podcast blanking on the name it's it's the one that's like the cold the the cold war era undiscovered ending. country undiscovered country i watched that probably six times <laughs> over the course of a few weeks not because i was like this is so great but it was just it was playing at the dollar 50 theater and i liked it enough they know and i'd already seen jfk and i have all these like random movies universal soldier that like i saw during that like distinct one year period because it was always a dollar 50 and i always had nothing to do and i would just wait for my girlfriend to finish her eight hour shift at the mall and would just go to like three movies at a time well that explains <laughs> a lot actually it does um... <laughs> especially about a, especially about a certain era of pop culture but uh yeah and i, I uh, i'm sure we'll, we'll get into it here uh, you know, no, being the no, red, Ryan, red, red I, on the podcast, I should say, not a fan of Picard. I don't know how that goes over here, if that's a popular or unpopular opinion. Uh, uh, Sarah tried very hard to get uh, Issa and I to like season two much more than we did initially. So um, I, I appreciate I did my due diligence. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, not a fan of, of any of the Picard so far. Mm. Well, um, I, I yeah, I do like season one much more, but now, Ryan, one of the reasons I knew that you weren't a big fan of Picard and one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on here was because, you know, you sent me messages basically telling me how stoked you were on Strange New Worlds from the, basically from the beginning. I, I knew you bring a good perspective to it as being somebody who is very, very devoted to TOS um, over the years. And so when we get into it, as we get into it, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here in the revolving red shirt chair um, <laughs> for, for, for this season. Um, another person who was invited, who is not, who is a little under the weather is uh, our, our friend, uh, Dan O'Mahony, who uh, just wanted me to make sure that we talked about Anson Mount's hair. And I told him there was no way we could not talk about Anson Mount's hair at some point. So we will get there. Um, I want to get. I, I, I have a Morrissey tattoo. There was no way I wasn't going to talk about Anson Mount's hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick thoughts on on the idea of returning to Pike, and I, I love the idea that this is the longest. They make the joke that this is the longest pilot to TV series call in the history of television. However, the crew is very different from the Cage. So, let's be honest; it's a little different. But for the most part, I love the idea. I, from the very beginning, the idea of going back, I'm not a huge prequel guy, but the idea of getting Pike's backstory once for me, as soon as I saw that um, Ethan Peck was nailing Spock and discovery, I was okay with it, you know, cause that was the hardest thing for me was if you can nail Spock. And I personally think Ethan Peck is better than Zachary Quinto as Spock. Um, I think he, and one of the things you can tell from Ethan Peck, and it's been proven in interviews, is that he is an actual Star Trek fan. And he is the one who a lot of times will explain to the other actors the importance of things. <laughs> They've talked about how Ethan Peck is the one that will say, no, this is very important because... And, um, and uh, yeah. You can't just go making him hotter like that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and uh, the fact that he's—I grew uh, up—I grew up having a crush on his grandfather, and I grew up having a crush on Nimoy Spock. Therefore, this is some kind of quite a combination. All live in a simulation (laughs) that's been created just for me. (laughs) 
Right. So uh, starting with Sarah, how did you feel about the concept of Strange New Worlds, like as as going back to doing a, a Pike prequel? I think it's great because I've always loved Pike's character. I loved him in the Kelvin movies. Um, I loved the cage so much more than I've loved much of TOS, like just because of the Pike character. Like when I, I remember when I watched, I watched the movies first, the TOS movies first, because, you know, obviously because of, uh, you know, I'm only 43. And I remember watching the one with the whales when I was like hmm. seven, eight years old and loving it. Um, and so I ultimately went back and watched the TOS episodes at some point, I think when I was homeschooled, because that's when I had a lot of time. And when I saw the cage, I was like, what the fuck? Why did they pick Shatner when they had this guy who is a much better actor and is much more attractive? And I was just very confused. I was just like, why? So for me, this feels like writing a wrong that was... <laughs> In, in in choosing Shatner back in, in 1965 or 66. So, you know, it's, uh, and I'm, you know, I realize that people will be angry with you for saying that, but I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I... I'll defend Shatner <laughs> a little bit later, but yeah. When we talk about how bad Paul Wesley is <laughs> casting, but we'll get there. So, I'm sorry, Sarah, go ahead. No, I mean that's that's pretty much all I had to say about about that. Like I I I really love this Pike, the Pike character. I think that he's distinctly a, a a good character, and and the fact that you know he's a a huge bright spot. I mean the Kelvin movies in general, the 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 biggest strong suit that they all have is in exceptional casting. Like whoever had that assignment nailed it, absolutely nailed it. And so I've, I, you know, it's just sort of, for me, it was sort of like one of those, I'm honestly surprised that we haven't had a Pike series up until now, like that it took this long. Well, it was Akiva Goldman's goal from the minute he stepped into Discovery, knowing that it was 10 years earlier, I guess his very first meeting was, we got to do Pike, right? We got to do Pike. And um, so a lot of people give Akiva Goldman credit for that. Um, from the beginning as being the one that was really like pushing that. Isa, how did you feel about going back to uh, pre pre Kirk era enterprise? So, okay, bear with me here. I'll get to there. This is kind of roundabout, but I generally feel as a, as an amateur storyteller and appreciation of stories being told that prequels suck. Like just as a general, I'm willing to say it across the board. If you have a good story, I want to see it go forward. I don't ever care about it going backwards. I'm not saying that there have never been good prequels ever, but I am saying that, uh, you know, when you're starting a story, if you if it's the first thing of a story, you want to start as late in the plot as possible, just because it makes things better. That's like a basic rule of storytelling. You don't, you don't, you know, you uh, you kind of you compress time a little. Anything that can be backstory should just be backstory. You don't have to show it. Um, with that being said, I love Strange New Worlds and it really worked and it will probably from now on be my like one example of a, of a good way to do a prequel. Um, I think they're getting into interesting territory by bringing Kirk on board because he's such a well-known character. I think we already covered that Spock is being done really well and they they pulled that off, which is very impressive. Um, but, you know, Pike and the rest of the crew is unknown enough that they can pretty much be fleshed out as new characters it's really tough with a with a kirk and so we'll see how that and 
for me, I kind of wish they'd picked a no-name actor because I know uh, Paul Wesley as Steven Salvatore and, or Stefan Salvatore, and that is what he will always be on the screen. So I'm expecting him to be a vampire and it's very distracting. At least in the first episode, I'm sure I'll get used to it eventually. But, um, but yes, yeah, so Ryan, general, you were wrong. You're not the only one that's watched the Vampire Diaries. Yeah, oh, I, I love the Vampire I, Diaries. Was great. I predicted I would be the lone Vampire Diaries aficionado. On the, well, I will. I will say this in in the theme of like beginnings and endings. I've never finished the series. I've watched the first maybe five or six seasons twice, but I always kind of trail off and never manage to finish it. Um, and it's been so long that um, I probably would have to start over if I were to watch it again. Um, it, it, it didn't even get bad. I just, uh, it just, I just get distracted. I don't even know what it is. You but know, it, we're, 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 we're in almost the exactly the same boat. Cause I never finished it either. And oh, I, know, I got really far and rewatched the first yeah. three, I think multiple times. Yeah. I mean, and, was, uh, and, and the same with the originals. I never finished the originals. Oh, yeah, I, also, liked, I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, but right there with you on the original. Somehow, liked it, never finished it. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure show in so much as not, not to yeah. say that those shows are bad. They're, they're great, but they're not, you know, when you know there's prestige television filling your yeah. queue it's harder to justify those those moments of yeah absolutely going it's, and watching the originals uh, it's my but, you know buffy the vampire slayer was my all-time favorite show and it's sort of like you know at, when that ended i watched charmed just because it filled the space but not really yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. and vampire diaries is a continuation in that tradition where it's Fair. not as good but it's pretty good so and and the and the originals was a continuation of the angel tradition where it was the spinoff yeah. was was better in some ways uh yeah. but didn't have the same sort of charm as the original and i and i, I never watched uh what's the one that like, just got canceled Legacy. Um, Legacy. Yeah, I never saw. Yeah, that. I haven't. I haven't watched that. Either. We are right on the same page. We'll have right to get together and watch like the last couple seasons. <laughs> I did see that they contrived a a Klaus uh, cameo in the series finale of that show. I say that because I assume, like me, you're probably never going to watch that show. Unquotable. <laughs> My wife has finished it. I don't care at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. But, <laughs> all right. But, uh, all right. Yeah, all right. So be, okay. Sorry, but yeah. it'll be interesting seeing a different how he, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how he steps into the role of Kirk. I, I won't count the first episode against him because, you know, you're still getting used to it. But will I see him as Kirk going forward or will he still be Stefan Salvatore the vampire? Well, and I don't know if we're going to get him again because they kind of tricked us into saying that he'd be in season two to, to maintain the secrecy that he was going to be in the finale of season one. So now, I, I might have misunderstood this, but I thought that he was he was always going to be in the finale and in season two and that they they let the season two thing loose because they knew that there were paparazzi pictures that were about to expose that like like they were trying to keep him a secret altogether right? yeah i see then, i think that they were saying that he's in season two to keep the secret from season one i got the impression but yeah yeah but so, i don't know if that means he's not going to be in season two that's true. He might be. And and I think eventually we'll get a passing of the baton at the end of the series, probably. And you can't cast his brother as a crew member and have him show up in the universe and we know he's somewhere and then not eventually have him be part of the show. It seems like it's... Well, and we know his brother's going to die um, in TOS. Um, but, uh, which is a thing but anyways so uh isa did you have anything else on the just the general concept of it uh, no I, I like honestly on paper i would never have thought it was a good idea but it totally works yeah ryan uh you know i'm in a similar spot to isa as well when it comes to prequels generally speaking and i would imagine we all start as are to some degree i don't 
hate the concept outright, but it's funny because this idea I'm about to present is something that I actually first heard from Julie Pleck, the co-creator and showrunner of the Vampire Diaries and the extended Vampire Diaries universe, which is that you should only do a flashback in an episodic storytelling if the flashback is going to tell you something about what's happening currently and what's about to happen. But this is the only reason for those to exist. And I, and I, and once I heard that, it's explained a lot for me about a lot of things storytelling wise. And I think that, you know, prequels generally speaking fit into that category. Like, uh, you know, I, I think a, a, a example of when a prequel doesn't justify itself, right. Would be the solo movie. Um, right. I, I don't, I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's but fine. how else would we know how he got the name Han Solo? And that's exactly where I'm going, right? Like, like we didn't need to know. Like, oh, the movie tells us how he got his gun and how he got his name and how he met Chewbacca. And it was a lot of things that we ultimately didn't need to know. It didn't really add anything to what exists before. Um, it didn't necessarily detract. It just sort of was. And then we, could, of course, we go on down the list of of uh, things that maybe hurt the original story and in, in its relationship to the original story and things that actually really helped it. I do think what's being done in the Star Wars universe right now is instructive in so much as I, I, the way that they're finding different pockets of untold stories in the timeline where there's these huge gaps. Um, I think that that's more appropriate and you're able to kind of build outside characters. And I think Better Call Saul is a great example of something that is adds 100% justified itself it's added a lot of depth it's played in that universe and so we get to have things that are familiar and so on uh, but it also it took what was essentially a side supporting character from the main thing and you know branched off into its own well and that's story. Just, so and that's just it is that this show isn't and that's what, and that's where I'm going that's what this yeah. shows this, that's what this show has done by by taking Pike who's somebody that we didn't get to know all that well over the course of the mythology and you know centering the show around him now it is interesting the way they've really painted themselves in the corner by giving the character the same foreknowledge of his fate that the audience has uh by the same turn um as much as we know there's that inevitability it also gives them some freedom because we're not constantly watching the episodes as the audience thinking like, oh, if only he knew what's going to happen to him. Well, no, he does know what's going to happen to him. And he's actually making decisions and stuff based on that, having that same foreknowledge that we have. So I think that they figured out a really inventive way into it. Um, it's really charming. It's really interesting. Uh, it took some, it takes some great visual cues, I think from the Abrams films, uh, but also from, the original series, I mean, it, it reminds me very much the way that when they reimagined Battlestar, right? They didn't say, okay, you know, the original Battlestar Galactica tried to imagine what futuristic tech would look like. What does futuristic tech look like now? Instead, they did this retro future thing, which I think is part of what really ground the show and in, in such realism. And I see that much like a Rogue One or a Kenobi, uh, this show's very effectively doing the same thing where it's like, okay, we're going to we're, gonna, we're not going to do things that would just be embarrassing by modern standards, but we're also not going to update it so much that it doesn't, that it feels totally disconnected from the original series. I like that it's, it's very smart about balancing, you know, what audiences expect from genre filmmaking today and, you know, the connections we needed to have. The last thing I'll say is that 
about the prequel thing in general, it seems that like a Better Call Saul, that doing it over a, a television series where you have multiple ongoing episodes is a lot better than trying to condense a prequel type story into a two hour film. Um, obviously you could make the argument, there's a fan edit of the Kenobi series going around right now. That's a two and a half hour version of the six hours of episodes. And uh, there's definitely a persuasive argument to be made for trimming the fat from that show. And sometimes they're, they're stretching it into a show, but I think in these instances where um, they're not, it doesn't feel like it's just getting us from point A to point B. It really feels like it's, it's, a setting, a landscape for them to play in. And it's not, so one one beat after another doesn't have to be like, oh, that's how this happened. And oh, that's where that came from. And oh, that's how these two met. Um, I think it really benefits from that. So yeah, I was very excited by the concepts. Uh, I had, you know, having been very disappointed with Picard, I had a feeling that just this concept in general would be more likely to pull me in. And uh, uh, I know I said that was the last thing I was going to say, but I want to say this too, because it's just something I learned recently. Apparently, those of us who deal with depression and anxiety enjoy re-watching the same shows for like some psychological reason. There's some new study that came out about that. And when I read it, it rang very familiar. As someone who's been through The Sopranos five times and has you know, been through even shows that I didn't necessarily love. Like I've watched Sons of Anarchy a bunch of times, but I wouldn't even say that it's a good show. <laughs> and yet I've continued to go back to it. And there is something psychological, I guess, about having the foreknowledge of, of where it's going to go. And I guess maybe you don't have the anxiety of, of surprise or, or danger, and you can just sort of enjoy the story. By that same turn, I get more excited, I think, about something like Strange New Worlds, knowing that there's only so much that can screw up. Whereas something like Picard has every opportunity to take something that was great that we loved and, and you know, kind of destroy it. In... Interesting. That's <laughs> yeah. an interesting perspective. Yeah. Oh, wanna... oh, 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 we have money now in Star Trek. Cool. <laughs> I want to jump in with something to riff off of what uh, Ryan just said about the, the foreknowledge of what's going to happen to Pike. I think one of the most important things about prequels and whether I like them or not is if they follow the rules of the universe. And I think the, the season did a, of Stranger Worlds did a really good job of setting the rules where this is his fate and it can't be changed. You know, like they, they it took them all season to do it, but they, we know, we know his fate and we know it can't be changed. And now the, the, it's interesting watching him come to grips with that, but it won't be like, how can I change this? How can I change yeah. that? Well, and, and it uh, plays, it plays a really cool role in the whole Star Trek thing and justifying the prequel in a couple ways. For one, it 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 basically canonizes how important Kirk and Spock are, right? That their role, and I thought in this last episode when the Farragut was destroyed, I thought Kirk was dead. You know, that's what I thought they were gonna do is like, Kirk's dead and none of the, you know, there, there's nobody to save the whales, you know, <laughs> like, right? back whales. Yeah, I, I mean, and just but you think of all the things that they've done and i know they're making the argument that navarre and the uniting of romulus and vulcan is a huge part of you know what spock has to do like save the galaxy type stuff he needs to make that huge alliance that's that's a huge part of it but at the same so i think in a way strange new world almost canonizes why Kirk and this episode canonizes why Kirk and Spock are so important 
that they play such a huge role in what happens in the universe. That's one thing. And two, as a big, I love the relationship between Kirk and Spock, like going back. And it always bothered me watching the menagerie that I was like, yo, dude, that Kirk's your boy. Why are you, why are you sacrificing everything for Pike? Right. Mm. And in that episode, he says that he served with Pike for 11 years, which is longer. Right. But that moment, that scene in the finale, when Pike tells Spock how important he is to him and Spock tells him how important he is to him, not only did it get me teary eyed and a little choked up, but it made the menagerie better. And that's something that a prequel has to do. And, you know, say what you will about the Star Wars prequels, but Downey and I have talked about this. I think the prequels serve at least the role of making, like when I was a kid, I could never believe that Luke, like believed that Vader could be turned, right? I was like, what are you smoking? He's Darth Vader. He's not, he can't be turned. But what the prequels did was give me, like depth into that yeah, no, i'm sorry i know we're talking about star trek here but the prequels really ruined the original trilogy of star trek of star wars they made it so much sillier for that, you i'm just saying dude, i'm just me. saying like balance of balance of whatever you had yoda fight the emperor they almost win he just barely loses gets banished and then instead of like you know, uh, coming back and fighting him again after he almost beat him, he's like, no, no, we're going to let some kids grow up and do the fight for us. That was like the dumbest thing. All right. Well, but to sit (laughs) sit with Star Trek, (laughs) I think what this smartly did was give so much more weight to Pike and Spock's relationship. Absolutely. When that was- Unlike the Star Wars prequels, this was actually really- <laughs> and and I think also to your point and to my earlier point that the Julie Pleck bit of wisdom, I think going forward, that relationship between just even just in the context of the menagerie, it, it's very instructive about what the relationship between Kirk and Spock will become because it's also it's almost like it's sort of saying look, this is, these are the links I would go to for this captain that I served with for 11 years. And at some point, you and I are going to have a relationship that's going, I, I'm, I'm this loyal, like I'm this, you know, yeah. I can have this much affection despite my seeming, seemingly emotionless demeanor. Uh, I, here's, my, here's my one sentence on the Star Wars prequels. One sentence. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> the prequel trilogy are good ideas executed poorly. The sequel trilogy are bad ideas executed well. The end. That's, I just did Star good. Wars. I think that was. <laughs> I don't know if that counted as a semicolon or two sentences. Semicolon. Yeah. But I will. I will allow that because that's really accurate. Now I want to get. Now I'm noticing here because the three of us grew up watching TOS first, and Sarah didn't. Sarah came to TOS later. So Sarah, I'm interested. And your relationship to like, because it was really important for us to see a little bit of this backstory and get that TOS vibe. Like, how did you feel about going back to the TOS vibe, even though, because it wasn't your favorite, it wasn't what you grew up on. You grew up on TNG, right? Well, technically I grew up on on TOS movies. Um, And I saw those first. I saw those before I saw uh, TNG. And so I would say that it's, I mean, I like it. I like the camp. And, you know, I've been introducing a friend of mine 
who uh, tried watching Star Trek once. He watched TNG. He found it unbearably campy and he was and dated and which broke my heart, absolutely broke my heart. <laughs> um, and he couldn't watch it. And so I was like, okay, so I need to get this kid onto Star Trek because he's 10 years younger than me. And I was like, I feel like Strange New Worlds is the correct thing to introduce him to because it's brand spanking new, it's fresh. But I told him, I said, it's still campy, but it's intentional, <laughs> you know? And that's the thing, like, I, I it, it, it doesn't, it's not sort of super, it wasn't important to me. It's just something that I knew they would do. Um, I think that they made a couple of decisions in Strange New Worlds where they valued the camp over believability, over uh, a good story, um, you know, little t details like the fact that the Vulcan women are wearing entirely too much makeup and they look ridiculous and they don't, they don't, they're, I could not take them seriously as Vulcans um, to Pring and, you know, all of these characters. And I know why they did that. They did that because they were trying to reference the crazy 60s makeup on the Vulcans and TOS. But which is more important, guys? Are, are you are you just masturbating over here to the to the you know TOS look and feel, or do you want to create something new and believable? And by contrast, you know, like the the, the Vulcans in Discovery are so much more Vulcan-like. They're so much more distinguished and serious and believable as Vulcans. And the Vulcans in Strange New Worlds are like you know Kim Kardashian, and it's very disappointing. Um, so little things like that, where they value the camp and they value the nostalgia factor, and they're unfortunately going a little too far with it, and they're valuing it above things that are more important to, to good storytelling. Um, so stuff like that, you know, definitely, and I feel like it helps, you know, that I wasn't completely in love with TOS as my original. Um, that said, like, you know, I love TNG. TNG is the one that I grew up with the most the one that I bonded with, if you will, the most as a child. And I loved Picard. So I feel like, you know, it, uh, it kind of depends on the person and what you saw in the original, whatever it was, whether it was TNG or TOS or whatever. And therefore that changes what your expectations are for what you want from whatever they're remaking or backfilling or whatever. Yeah. I will say, I will say, uh, do you, and, and not that I'm disagreeing with you at all, but just as a slight counterpoint, or maybe how they're also, how there's a lot of different tones happening in Strange New Worlds. I love that they are making an effort to make the Gorn scary, possibly yeah. the yeah. least scary, campiest <laughs> alien adversary yeah. Yeah. from TOS. Or the flea stack, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Th yeah, that was the flea stack. And then all of a sudden, this show's making them like, you know, Xenomorphs. Uh, xenomorphs exactly and they could have done the that they right could have made mouth. the same mistake they could have said you know what let's have a guy in a lizard suit right it'd be a funny callback and it's like right. no you no you you have to remember you're making a new show for people like my friend who have never seen any star trek except for the star trek they saw that they dismissed because it was too dated and too campy and he is he is slowly becoming a star trek fan nice. in fact i even got him to watch the balance of terror after the uh, the finale, because he has COVID right now, and I was like, "So you have a lot of time right now? I have a suggestion." <laughs> <laughs> right. And he did it. He watched it, so I was like, yes. "Well, and here's the here's the thing. Like, Strange New Worlds is my favorite Star Trek since 
Deep Space Nine, which is saying something. I love the shit out of it. I love almost every stinking minute. I think even when it makes mistakes, I'm fine with it because a lot of times they're making mistakes with good intentions. And, um, but there are, there, I mean, I don't think it's perfect. I, I saw no reason for Laan to be a Noonian Singh yet. And I still think that that's really pushing it. I really hate that. Um, I, I will live yeah. with it. I will, I will. Or, or, or as I like to call her, Lieutenant Hitler. Go yeah. on. <laughs> She's really tight. Well, that's why I think. Well, I mean, that- it's, it's just so silly to saddle a character with it, such a loaded name, but not only for yeah. the, for the audience, but also within universe, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that she would so have happen to be related to that like, she would the basically worst. be named Lieutenant Hitler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we we should reflect for a moment that it's you know we're talking about the show, and I know it had like some like sneak pilots, like some backdoor piloting in in Discovery, but for a first season of a Star Trek show or it's of any incredible, show, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, th- yeah. it's only going to get better from here, for, you know, if history is any guide. And so that well, and they thing. made this early in covid before vaccines and that's uh, so there is a lot of things that were kind of minuses to the show that were real world examples of the fact that for example how certain characters would drop out of the show for like number one drops out of the show for huge periods of time um when rebecca romaine was not available because she hadn't gone back through quarantine for example, and had to film up out of order for her scenes from episodes. For example, the fact that the cast and crew could only have so much interaction. Um, th- that uh, so they made this under a really, really intense um, COVID situation where the second season probably isn't going to have that. So I expect season two to be a little bit looser in that regard. Um, and they did a good job of hiding it because unless you're looking for those things, you're probably not going to notice them for the most part, you know, Super but, impressive. yeah, yeah. So that is impressive. And, and I like that they updated the ship and the look and I can't, I, and look, listen, I had just, when I put a call out for questions on this one, like, you know, I had somebody say, um, yeah, explain the difference and why the ship's bigger. And I'm just like, come on, people use your imagination. It's okay for the Klingons and Gorons to look a little different. Just, you know, if you're not watching the original series and updating the tech in your own mind, you're watching it wrong, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I always go back to, and I, Ryan probably remembers this, but right around the time Phantom Menace came out, there was, they interviewed Ozzy on the red carpet for the world premiere of Phantom Menace. And Ozzy was so confused that he's like, why is the technology better? And it's like... <laughs> Don't be Ozzy here. Don't, don't, you know. Uh, I mean, I love the guy, but don't be Ozzy on this. Like, Cleons can look different. They're, they could also, they're a big species. There can be different looking Klingons too. Um, and I think Enterprise did a dumb thing to try and explain the no ridges, ridges thing. I mean, I think, I think Deep Space Nine had already handled it perfectly. When yeah, Worf was just like that. Yeah, we, yeah. we, don't, we don't talk about that. That wasn't. That's all we ever needed. That's all we ever needed. <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk about the cast. Um, uh, your favorites on the cast. Obviously, we're all going to gush about Handsome Mount and uh, Ethan Peck. Like, 
my goodness, like they're both great. Like, I love that the show figured out from the beginning, knew from the beginning that Spock has always been the sex symbol of, of the show. So, and um, I have a, a, a friend through podcasting, Jacob Hall, who writes for Slash Film and does a, a really great Star Trek podcast. I want to shout out Trekking Through Time and Space, where he's teaching a Doctor Who fan Star Trek and she's teaching him Doctor Who. It's a really good podcast. And that's a Jacob, great concept, too. Yeah, great concept. And Jacob got to interview Akiva Goldsman and really drilled down on Spock as a sex symbol. And Akiva Goldsman said that they literally had a meeting where they were like, how much can we get Spock's shirt off? And they literally <laughs> said that, according to Akiva Goldsman. And um, so much I think- appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> um, they knew that Ethan, well, yeah, they knew what they had, right? And look, he was covered under a beard through a lot of discovery, right? So, you know, we didn't get to see him as like kind of normal Spock until the short tracks. Oh, so the now, last episode. Yeah. Are you, are you trying to tell Issa and I we need to shave? Is that what that was? No, 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 no. no, no. I'm not saying that. But uh, so starting with Sarah, who, who are your standouts in the cast? And how do you think they did on cast? I think they did great. Um, I <clears throat> I really enjoy Uhura. Um, I'm really glad that little things like, you know, they were gonna make her wear a wig and she was like, mm, no. And they were like, okay, we'll just have her have short hair, it's cool. Um, I really appreciate that, especially considering, you know, that they did other aesthetic changes or decisions that I didn't like. Um, but yeah, I can't really complain about any of them other than of course, Kirk like I haven't actually seen the vampire diaries and so to me this man was an unknown actor and I was just like this man has zero Kirk energy I don't understand like I appreciate no even swag. the fact that no that I like I can I can appreciate the fact that like I'm not one of those people who insists that oh well you know this character had long hair and was white and so therefore they always have to have long hair and be white like fuck that I hate that shit so I can even appreciate the fact that they chose a Kirk who is even physically very different than than the Kirks that we have known. He's, you know, he doesn't have blonde hair. He doesn't have sparkling blue eyes. And so it's just sort of like, but he has to be Kirk in some other way. And it's like, I can't find it anywhere. There's 0% Kirk in this man. And I'm just like, I, so I'm trying to figure out what they're thinking with that. But otherwise, you know, I really yeah. love uh, all the cast. Now, that's one of the few dings I have on the whole season was that I did not buy him as Kirk. He did not have the swagger. That's fine. I still love the episode. I was just like, okay, that wasn't great. That wasn't perfect. Moving He's a good on. actor. Like, yeah. like if I had, if I, if they had just named him somebody else, I would have liked the character and I would have been like, okay, cool. I get it. I, I buy it. But because he's trying to be Kirk, I was just like almost confused. I was just like, I don't understand why they made this decision. Like, did somebody lose a bet? <laughs> so I have to say, he he's a fine actor. I mean, on yeah, the Vampire Diaries, he's a good actor. His I don't main character, he plays like a, a stereotypical brooding vampire, and which is you know about as different from a Captain Kirk as you can imagine. So I'm sort of trying to wonder how they even came up with the idea to cast him. It does seem like a very strange decision. Um, but I will say he, you know, there, there are some times on the show where he plays other characters and he does a good job. Like he's definitely, his acting chops are there. He's a good um, actor. Yeah. So it's just, it's weird, but you would not his fault necessarily. 
I mean, yeah. but you would have expected at least some sort of verbal a nod to Captain Kirk of some sort. You know what I'm saying? Like there was none of that. It was really that was surprising. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, I'm just gonna put this out there. Shatner and Nimoy are both super Jewish, and and you know maybe 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 somebody from the tribe. I don't know. Like, but. Um, I'm just mostly kidding, but um, I always love the fact that most people don't realize that Shatner is Jewish at all. Oh, I think everyone knows from the uh, Adam Sandler Hanukkah song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I I think uh, someone else who's enjoyed uh, people not knowing Shatner's Jewish is is Shatner. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, True. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, but as far as the cast goes for me personally, I, um, yeah, the Paul Wesley just didn't have the swagger for Kirk for me, but that's okay. Um, but I thought the rest of the casting was all pretty awesome. Like, um, it's, it's really will make you feel old when you see how, um, Uhura's the, the actor who plays Uhura was born in this century it's very hard yeah to uh to to deal with that um uh i think the casting is great um there's sometimes um i'm not as in love with nurse chapel as everyone else seems to be um she's she's great she's fine she's almost a little too capable sometimes i'm I'm glad i'm glad to hear some nitpicks because i'm gonna probably bum everyone out because i go on sorry yeah no so (laughs) <laughs> so that, that's the only thing I have with her. But I do think her scenes with Spock have been very good. And the and I like that they're not making her just unrequited thing with Spock be her whole character, which is good. And I do know uh, Kiva Goldsman has also hinted because there's an episode, What Little Girls Are Made Of, where we meet um, Chapel's fiance. And um, he he said all he said when they asked if we were going to meet Roger, Roger Kirby is he said stay tuned. So we're probably going to get a story involving because he's uh, an advanced uh, artificial being person. So that could be some interesting storyline. So that's good. So um, uh, Isa, how did you feel about the cast in general? Uh, I mean, I'm right now. I'm just shocked that you don't care for Nurse Chapel. I think she's fantastic. I know I like yeah. her. I just didn't. I don't like her as much as people okay. seem to be falling absolutely like with their tongues on the floor in love with her. And okay. I don't feel that way. That. That's what I'm saying. Um, I would. I say, like her. She's okay. great. Right. The I would say the cast is perfect. Honestly, like I, I can't think of a character who doesn't work very well. Um, yeah, I, 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 whoever did the casting did a great job. I don't see any, you know, aside from the Kirk discussion that we just had, where I got to do my hint of a of a Shatner impression. Um, I don't. In think, my defense, I loved Hemmer as much as most people. <laughs> yeah, that we'll get. I assume we'll get to that, but that was one yeah, of the things yeah. that I didn't really care for about the the towards the end of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I, all the characters are fantastic. Their interactions are fantastic. They have a really good you know for the first season they have a really good vibe together everything works really well um yeah i i literally couldn't wouldn't can't think of something to change ryan cast so i i think we have a, a consensus 
generally speaking, and that we all love the casting and think that it's excellent. I mean, it, it's arguably the best casted, the best cast Star Trek series since, I don't know, since Deep Space Nine, maybe. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, I have two areas of disagreement with everyone, I think. Uh, one is Kirk, which we'll get to. It's a little unfair, I think, to really evaluate Paul Wesley's Kirk right now, given that it's such a truncated performance relative to, you know, we've got to spend a season with all these other actors in these roles. And he's True. dealing with the weight and responsibility of playing arguably the most, if not one of the two most known characters from this series in pop culture. I mean, you know, people know William Shatner as Captain Kirk and Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock, who've never seen a minute of any Trek of any medium. Uh, so having said that, you know, it's a huge responsibility. I always felt that while he was, he was great on the Vampire Diaries, I was always hopeful that he would have an opportunity to do something um, more widely seen, more noteworthy, because from the very beginning to me, he, it's, it's funny how we're talking about his lack of swagger, because I think he has a total James Dean thing going that I, I think was probably a large part of why he was cast. I think that they intentionally didn't go for someone who was Shatner-esque in a lot of ways, because you know, if he was doing the halted delivery, it becomes an impression, right? Like there's performances and there's impressions. And it's like, is the job of this actor to play Captain Kirk the character or is it to play William Shatner playing Captain Kirk? And of course, it's almost impossible to separate because we associate the actor and the role so much. And while there was TJ Hooker and there was Boston Legal, which I actually really enjoyed, um, Shatner is Kirk you know it's not like he's uh, Harrison Ford's Han Solo but he's also I didn't uh, hate Chris Pine though I didn't hate Chris, Chris Pine. I didn't hate Chris Pine either yeah uh, Chris, Chris Pine was great um but also it's interesting the benefit of hindsight right because we also got three movies with Chris Pine and we've gotten right. you know a handful of scenes with Paul Wesley and it's on television and not in a big film uh you know it, it I'll, I'll draw another Star Wars parallel in that you know Kathleen Kennedy said this thing that was talked about a lot recently where she was like, the lesson that we learned from the solo movie is that we shouldn't recast uh, legacy characters. Like, no one wants to see someone other than Harrison Ford playing on solo. I, I so think that is the. I think that. But let me finish the thought, oh, yeah. though. Uh, <laughs> what, what struck me about it as the funniest is she said that, and she was also talking about, you know, Luke and why they've chosen to do the deep fake uh, de aging thing with Mark Hamill. And she says that, and then she's like, now let me present to you Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett, <laughs> someone who was newly recast in that role, starring Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and like all of these people who were actually new actors playing legacy characters, but it's thought of differently because the prequels were, you know, 15 years ago. So we don't, we don't think of Ewan McGregor as a new kenobi playing an old role and so i think chris pine has some of that same benefit right where we if we were talking no about chris pine as Kirk, glover as lando because he fucking nailed it right but yeah. also but i would also argue he he didn't he didn't rise above impersonation i feel like he was doing a rich little you know uh, what, a, what a comedian does when they do an impersonation and they pick up on certain ticks and uh, I don't know that that was so much a performance, you know, that, but I mean, fair I think the, the Chris Pine comparison is a little different because 
that was an alternate version of the characters in like an alternate universe. Whereas this is like the Captain Kirk, right? Like, and I realize that sounds a little silly, but I think I gave the Kelvin timeline movies a pass because it's true. He gets a little wider birth because he's, he's become a different person because of different things of life defining things happen. But, but jumping into the, uh, everyone else, I mean, as a broad view thing, and this is a fan of pop culture and as someone who is generation X and getting older myself, I love that we have Anson Mount and Rebecca Romaine as our captain and our number one, because they're both 49 years old and Adrian Holmes, uh, who plays April, he's 48. And it's so great to see a series started. And it was one of the great things about next gen when it started, right. As people are like, wow, the captain's this like old Shakespearean actor. It's crazy to think about Patrick Stewart being old at the start of uh, Next Generation, but I remember that being part of like the press and the conversation around the show. And I love that, especially right now, obviously our culture is always very youth focused and so on and so forth. And to have a new show uh, telling stories with younger versions of legacy characters and a prequel and for them to have cast a bunch of principal characters in their late 40s, especially a female character, like number one, uh, it's, it's awesome. It's one of the many dozens of things to love about this show is that they would put a 49-year-old actress in a lead in season one of, of a brand new show and not play the characters as, uh, you know, they're not Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. Like, they're just right. characters. They're just the captain of number one. You know, they're experienced, but it's not a big joke about them being over the hill all the time. Um, I like Jess Bush as uh, Nurse Chapel. Um, I, I, I said this to Dave already. Uh, I'm a big fan of T'Pring in this show. Um, I, lo- I love everybody. Uh, the guy who plays the doctor, I don't want to butcher his name. It's Babs, something uh, difficult to pronounce. Uh, but I actually first got to know him on the... Uh, I'm in the camp of people. I think the daredevil series on netflix is the best live action superhero thing we've gotten in decades so just i'm also phenomenal <laughs> and and, and i and i like daredevil fan too so. and daredevil, yeah. it, it, daredevil is my favorite superhero but it is it is my favorite superhero anything uh since the crow which also gets into a best in favorites because daredevil the series is better than the crow the movie but the crow's my favorite but having said that i bring that up because the defender series which was the avengers like culmination of the netflix shows uh which a lot of people were underwhelmed by and didn't like i personally liked it um our our guy who plays the doctor in stranger worlds played one of the five fingers of the hand and the defenders and uh, he was oh, i didn't i didn't put awesome. that together in my head yeah and it was just one of those performances um his body language, his presence, his facial expressions. There was just something really magnetic and charismatic about him in The Defenders, where it was one of those actors where I was like, I'm noticing this person. And then when he shows up as the doctor and here, a very different character, it was also sort of like, and he has range, you yeah. know, to go from well, this like stoic villain to. Uh, and Mabenga was. Also in a- Dune. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's, he's in, in Dune. Dune. Yeah, that's right. But everyone, everyone's in Dune. <laughs> Um, well, and Mabenga is an important character to deepen because he was only in two episodes of the original series. And it was like, why is there this other random doctor that we know nothing about? And I think eventually we're going to get a story as to why he's like, he lets McCoy take over and becomes the night shift doctor that we never see. Right. Um, but uh, except for when there's like when he needs to slap a Vulcan. Um <laughs> 
which, you know, like the thing we all remember Mabenga for. But what's cool is too is for those of us who read Star Trek novels, there's been all kinds of Mabenga novels. So, um, and one thing that's really neat too that this show is doing that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know, but since I'm friends with a lot of the authors who write Star Trek novels is a lot of the things that they've written into Star Trek novels, Strange New Worlds has made canon. For example, it was a Star Trek novel that named number one Una. And um, Greg Cox, um, who's been on this podcast, um, he showed, he posted at one point an, an email exchange between two Star Trek authors where David Mack, the Star Trek author, named Una by basically saying like we can't just keep calling her number one she has to have a name <laughs> and greg cox says that because they were writing a trilogy and she was going to be a character in it and then david mack responds how about una and then somebody else wrote back ha ha it's canon now <laughs> you know that <laughs> started with these star trek authors in a text thread and that's kind of neat thing that they did like respecting that right and uh it's a cool thing that they did on that. As far as the cast goes to the other thing I would say, the last thing I would say about the cast for me is that um, I think in the end, like they found a really good balance of, they had taken some legacy characters, but, but putting a few new characters in there. So there is some stakes for some of those characters in that degree. Do you have anything else on cast before we move on to favorite episodes? I, I was going to say that is one thing about prequels, right? Is it seems like anyone who's a new character in any prequel is kind of a red shirt because you you know you go into it going, okay, well I know, you know, these four characters aren't going, you know, they're going to make it out of this movie or TV show alive. And then you're like, all oh, these new characters probably aren't going to. Um, yeah, Melissa but- Nevins, who plays uh, Ortega's, has joked on Twitter that she watches the show with a friend, and her friend keeps saying. You know, you're 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 gonna die, right? You're gonna die because you're the one. That, you know. that was the last thing I was gonna say about casting that I, I was uh, saying earlier might be uh, unpopular. I wasn't actually even just talking about the Kirk thing. I'm not a big fan of that character or that performance of Ortega's. Um, it's not to say that it can't get better. It's not to say that it ruins anything for me. I love the show. I love the cast, but she is the most likely to pull me out of the show. Um, there's just something a little too modern, a little too casual. Some of her dialogue and some of her scenes on the bridge. Um, it, it, it's, it, there's just, I feel like it's not quite dialed yet, that particular character. You know, I, I, I think I, we can get there. But I want to say that it is, it always did bug me that the bridge chatting was a little bit too casual. There's nothing know? military about it. Yeah, right. In the finale, when uh, she's like, it's the Romulans, we've got to, you know, we can't trust them, we got to tackle or whatever. And uh, Pike is just like, stand down in a very like, hey, we're, we're friendly, but this is like, a, you know, this isn't a democracy kind of way. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. The little sides oh, and it? the like sarcasm. And yeah. I, I mean, imagine Picard putting up with that. At right. the helm. <laughs> not, he, he, Picard's, that's not you're not you're not gonna be on Picard's bridge for more than an well, hour was, with your attitude. Wasn't that moment like a direct reference though to to Balance of Terror when there's the guys like I won't you know I won't have bigotry on my bridge. Like yeah, she yeah, was supposed does, to be yeah. that character, and so but yeah, I love I love Ortega's. I think that she kind of has the swagger of 
that you would expect of the pilot. Um, and, you know, and I don't, I, every time I hear people say that Star Trek isn't, you know, doing enough sort of to follow military structure, I'm like, they never really have. I mean, the TOS was the most, I had to actually explain to my friend when I had him watch that episode, I was like, you have to understand in the TOS era, everybody was really proud of, you know, what, what, of, you know, these, these, these actors were literally in World War II. And so they were all very proud and they sort of saw themselves as a hero. And it's, it's sort of this very military structure thing. And I felt like I had to explain that to him. But I think that most of the other Star Treks, if not all of them, have lacked that to the, to their benefit that, you know, we don't, we don't actually need that because it's a quasi military organization. Like there's structure and there is, is you know court martials and stuff like that but at the same time all of the bridges all of the bridge crews have had a familial aspect to them and so i totally buy the chatter going on at the comms especially considering who pike is pike is a very different captain than picard especially yeah. in the first couple of seasons of of tng obviously picard was much more humorless and they were really trying to work that or make it and then he kind of calms down and relaxes a bit, you know, a couple years or a couple years seasons in. But Pike is really like the guy who's telling dad jokes at, at the dinner. And he has the entire, you know, uh, bridge crew over for dinner all the time. So he's just like the guy telling dad jokes. I totally see that. I totally buy it. Um, yeah, well, that there would be no, some his, his casual sarcasm, stuff. His sarcasm is important. In one of his first episodes of Discovery, there's a scene where he walks on the bridge and he says, what shit storm did we warp into now? And I loved that. I loved that he, and I will say this is, you know, being a screenwriter, I, I, you know, for my portfolio, I wrote a strange new worlds because why the hell not. Right. And so I've had to think a lot about these characters to write, to, to write them, even though I'm just doing it for, for my portfolio, but writing Pike, I, uh, the dad joke thing or the sarcasm was really important, but I admit I had a hard time when I was writing with the idea that I know he uses first names on the bridge and that just doesn't make sense to me that, um, and I to go back to that when I was doing my research for the, I'm doing an article about Norman Spinrad's unwritten Star Trek episode. So I've been digging through the archives at Fullerton and I literally read the 16 pages of notes that Gene Kuhn wrote Norman Spinrad on the Planet Eater episode that became Doomsday Machine. This is a little bit of inside baseball, but one of the first notes that Gene Kuhn gave Norman Spinrad when he wrote that classic episode was Spock would never call Kirk Jim on the bridge. <laughs> Very specifically, one of the first Glad they notes, got over that. Yeah. But I mean, he, I mean, it was important to him at the time. So I, I don't know. I just think about that. That's one. That's just I mean, there, there's an element of Star Trek that is duty and honor and chain of command. And not to say, I, I feel like the human elements and the familial stuff is that much better because it seeps in through the cracks of what is otherwise a very, you know, a, people on a submarine who, you know, I, I tend to think of, of those starships as some somewhere that everyone has a very important job if they're not doing their job to perfection it endangers everyone else and uh, that they're that they're very serious about why they're out there and, and what they're doing and that the moments of humor and 
and lightheartedness or the casual banter between characters are 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 just that moments. And I, and I and I feel like they're. It's not a criticism of the show overall. I think it, I think it's more just a couple of characters, particularly Ortega's. I, I feel like most of her scenes and her character interactions and her her swagger, her attitude overall, it, it just been. Um, I, it, it's harder to suspend my disbelief, I suppose, during some of her that, scenes where I'm. That reminds me. So one of the things that has sort of taken a little bit of pleasure away from this experience, because I love Strange New Worlds and I love it just as much as I love Discovery. I love it just as much as I love Picard. And, you know, they have different strengths. They all have different strengths, different weaknesses. But it has been stunning to me watching fans have a total double standard. Like so many of the things that Pike has done that they jizz themselves over Burnham would have been crucified for. I that mean, is it is absolutely stunning to watch the, you know, and we've known for years, we've seen, you know, all of the toxic fandoms and the bottom feeders of YouTube complain about every little thing and just go completely overboard about Burnham. But like, you know, the very first episode, Pike literally tells the Admiral, you do not want me in command of your flagship right now. I'm a mess. And the admiral's like, it's fine. And, and then, and then, and he's basically like, whatever. And then Pike proceeds to have approximately one dissociative episode per week while on duty, <laughs> while in the captain's chair. He just zones out. And again, I love it. It's fine. But it's one of those things where if this had been a black woman character, captain, people would be screaming, oh my God, she's not fit for duty. Oh my God, she, she she shouldn't be captain, you know? And like the way that they freaked out when they made Tilly captain or um, Tilly uh, first officer, acting first officer. And, you know, so it's just kind of like, it's taken away some of the joy for me of being able to watch the show because I'm watching the Phantoms and I'm just waiting for them to hold mm. that, you know, the show to the same standards that, that they have, have uh, been putting Discovery through. And, you know, then like the same first episode, like Pike says, you know, like, uh, or Una is like, Laon doesn't have clearance, the security clearance for this. And he says, I don't give a damn. And then five seconds later, he's like, screw general order one. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. like sitting yeah. there going, okay guys, I'm waiting for you to complain about yeah. how, you... <laughs> so when you talk about like the militaristic, you know, side of this, I'm like, even Pike, you know, is, is sure. really pushing those uh, those boundaries that you and that was would Kirk, be in right? place. That we only Kirk. know about the prime directive because it was broken all the time in the 60s. Like that was like a defining thing of Kirk, right? Well, yeah. we have this big I mean, rule I... that I break all the time. One last yeah. thing too about casting too is that I, I before we move on to favorite episodes, Robert April uh, being a black man was great. I don't care that in one episode of the cartoon, he was a white dude. And I think it's hilarious it was hilarious watching some of the fandom freak out about how it broke canon that <laughs> one episode of the animated series. And plus, look, I love for animated series like to be canon be just because that that weird like um, all terrain vehicle they had in the one hilarious episode. I want that to be canon, but um, you know, for oh, and Spock's pet too, Spock's big giant pet. I want those things to be canon, but. The, the fact that let, let's just cast Robert April 
with the new guy. It's fine. It's great. Plus, it provided one of the best Easter eggs of the entire season. In the last episode, the picture of Robert April and Captain Pike that was in the frame where they're wearing the, the uniforms from the cage. Perfect. Most people missed it. It was a great Easter egg. Now, favorite episodes, starting with Sarah. Favorite episodes of the season. What what were your high high and lows for the season? I feel like my favorite episode is also my least favorite episode. <laughs> You're not going to say the fairy tale episode, are you? I'm going to say the fairy tale episode. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, I loved the idea of it. And, you know, it was really funny because I totally cried. And then I was like, if this were Discovery, people would be screaming that we only got to see this little girl. We only got to know this little girl for like two weeks. And then they wrote her out. And <laughs> and like, I found it a little unbelievable that Mbega would, um, that he would give up his daughter so easily over something that could have been a trap. It could have been, um, you know, like there wasn't really enough, um, parental like wait a minute you know i want to make sure that this alien you know nebula character isn't hostile in some way or, or gonna drain you for energy or something like that like what's going on um and then the actual costumed characters or you know the scenes themselves i don't think were that strong they were just kind of like so in love with the camp of it they just kind of almost wrote didn't really care what they were saying or doing in those scenes in my humble opinion, it was still fun to watch. And I think part of it is that, I think that we didn't know the characters well enough to have an episode like that yet. It would have been more fun, I think, to have that episode, you know, either be the penultimate episode of the season, because I realized that it probably couldn't have been the season finale, um, or have been um, the, you know, in season two, it would have been a lot more fun to watch the characters behave that way. but. I don't think, you know, it was, it, it was my favorite. It couldn't have been more original series, though, to have a, an it, episode oh, yeah. that ridiculous. It, could, it couldn't have been. But wait, but Sarah, why, Every, why was it your favorite episode? Because at the, it was, at the same time, really adorable and really heartfelt. And, you know, the actors did a good job with what they had. Um, I did notice that, you know, it was kind of nice to have, as much as, like, people have been ha tweeting about this and stuff and saying, well, of course, this is the most Star Trek thing that has ever occurred. At the same time, it's nice that they actually had a budget for those costumes. So the costumes are actually really nice. Whereas the ones in, like, TNG really look like, you know, high school uh, stage productions. <laughs> you know, so even in the 80s, it was just, like, which well, made let me it tell even you. campier. As somebody who's read the notes from the 60s to the writers, I've seen literal notes now from Gene Roddenberry saying, well, we have a castle we can use. So why don't we, why don't we put them in a castle? Like I've literally seen that note. Like I could share screen and show it to you actually probably. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny that the difference in, in that, but yeah, I mean, the, um, yeah, it's it's funny the nature uh, of of those that for me the the Easter egg though that the book he was reading was written by Benny Russell from the the Cisco science fiction writer character from Deep Space yeah. Nine. Like that was that almost made the whole episode worth it. Um, yeah, and then I saw some people complain. Well, 
Betty Russell was a serious science fiction writer. He wouldn't write a fairy tale novel. And it's like, have you heard of Ursula Le Guin? Because she wrote <laughs> Earthsea and The Dispossessed. Shut up. So, um, but yeah, so, um, but, uh, so are, are there any other episodes, Sarah, that you really want to comment on that, that were, I mean, I want to get you beyond the, the fairy tale if you want. Well, I have, I mean, I saw a lot of the episodes in that way, right? Like I loved the pilot, but I hated, you know, the way that Tipring looked like, uh, Ariana Grande or something. Like she was just totally not believable to me as a Vulcan. I love, um, I love Ariana Grande, so that might explain a lot. Sorry, go on. There you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just made her look kind of infantilized. And I, I, I think that the there is absolutely nothing Vulcan about women wearing all that makeup. I mean, makeup is is a very much an Earth thing. And when I complained about this on Twitter, some guy was like, you know, well, it's logical that women would want to attract mates, even on Vulcan. And I'm like, no, you're thinking in a very male Earth-centric you know, take off your your paradigm hat and imagine what it would actually be like to be on Vulcan. This would never work. It totally, totally destroys the believability of, of the Vulcan in Strange New Worlds. But anyway, back to the point, each episode kind of has, I mean, the thing about episodic storytelling and the reason for me why it's, you know, like no better or no worse than Discovery or Picard is that the flaws are more noticeable when it's a short story. Like the whole pirate episode was resolved by waving a magic wand. They just made up some shit and, and then they were out of out of the sticky situation, you know, things like that. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of things that in each episode that were things that I didn't like, but at the same time, I still liked each episode. So I'm, I'm that way about a lot of of of, of Star Trek. So this, that, by the Sarah way, this this is the letter from Gene Roddenberry. This is the letter from Gene Roddenberry to Norman Spinrad, and you can see here, like he literally starts talking about. Um, we have a somewhat po Polynesian character, and maybe we have, and he starts. It's really bad. He starts talking about all the sets that he can use, and. Uh, um and i believe he mentions the castle i just had to i had to be a nerd out and show show everybody that so <laughs> um but anyways so yeah i see what you're saying about the vulcans like and 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 i i think there's a balance there and and i was fine with it it didn't bother me like it did you but i certainly understand where you're coming from on that so um isa favorite episodes so, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it all kind of ran together for me. I feel like all the episodes were great, except for the fairy tale episode, which I thought was one of the worst 45 minutes of television I've ever seen in my life. And we can talk about that if we want to. Whoa. But yeah, I really didn't. Harsh. Like um, well, I have, I have my reasons. But uh, the, the, you know, so the, I think if I had to pick a favorite episode, and honestly, like I said, they all kind of run together as just a they were all excellent. The one where the three Gorn ships are chasing them through the black hole area. Episode uh, four. Episode four, as I was going to say, <laughs> um, was probably my favorite. I really liked, uh, I liked the, you know, it was everything I like in Star Trek. It was a tense situation without a lot of action that's just like pew pew. 
um, they had to like think their way out of a situation and it was kind of cool. Um, so I, I would say that was, that was probably my favorite. Um, I feel like I have to talk about the fairytale one, uh, as a parent, you know, I just thought it was ridiculous that he was like, yeah, okay, take my daughter. They, they compressed, they took what was a nice story and just compressed it. And it, it, it should have, the daughter and the transporter buffer could have gone on for a while. Um, they've been doing like the, the various, like searching for the cure kind of things. I think that should have been something they resolved in like season three or something. Like there was just no reason to rush it. I actually don't think they should have resolved it. I think that would be explain why he's letting McCoy run the show. Oh like, yeah, there, there you go. You know what I'm I, saying? I just, like that's what felt... I thought they were doing with that. Right. I expected the daughter to be there forever. That, and... that would actually be cool. I, I just thought it was very rushed. Um, it didn't really make a lot of sense. And the actual... I don't, you know what, that part, that part was just like, whatever, because that was by the, you didn't really find that out till the end of the episode, the characters, so there are certain like rules when characters play other characters, you know, there are a lot of famous examples on different TV shows where, you know, the cast will lose their memory in a situation or, or something similar will happen. Um, and there was nothing, um, you know, it was just random, like it didn't really you have to sort of find, uh, you know, like the the episode that jumps in my head all obviously is is the Buffy Tabula Rasa episode where they all lose their memories from a spell, and uh, Spike thinks he's Giles's son, and like you know all sorts of hijinks ensue, um, and you know it wouldn't that wouldn't have been entertaining at all in season one when you didn't really know the characters, you know, and so you know Pike might have done a great job of playing this like you know, scared, cowardly court person, but it wasn't interesting at all. Um, and I found it extremely boring. And same with all, all the characters. There was nothing, you know, like, do I, I had no reason to see Laan acting silly as dressed as like some other character. Like it, it didn't add anything, I thought. Qu the question wasn't least favorite episode, Issa. I know. <laughs> but, well, I will say I, this, you know, I'm gonna defend the fairy tale episode in this regard. There is nothing more TOS than sitting down and watching a hilariously bad episode that makes you go, wow, how did that get greenlit? How did that happen? We're in, you know, we're in, we're in the universe. He could. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what was so TOS about it. Is I thought it was, also, I thought it was very next gen also because it, because I always asked the in universe question how after the first holodeck mishap is there still a holodeck <laughs> let alone after the 100th time that something oh. went wrong on the holodeck oh. <laughs> it's just such a lazy story device to like it's a holodeck episode you know how many times did they go in there to about some uh, fantasy tale and everything just went fine it was normal nothing went wrong no one got nobody trapped. ever thinks to oh. update the security it's like protocol. the anthropic yeah. principle we don't see those stories because they're not interesting you know <laughs> so you only see the stories where something goes horribly wrong otherwise it'd be a boring show we do need but, the once upon a time on yeah. a day like any other to get to our you know yeah right right inciting you know, i i so uh, but to answer the question without just ragging on the fairy tale episode i thought that all the episodes were quite strong um if at some point we're going to talk about the Gorn, I have some comments there, but I'll save that for, for well, later. Yeah, we can talk about that. But, and I will say that they did, even though I didn't like the fairy tale episode, the comedy episode with the body swap was great. Oh, yeah. The that fact was that really they good. did a that comedy awesome. episode, because, I mean, we were used to Ferengi episodes on DS9, like, all the time. It was like yeah. every four episodes, we got a comedy episode. 
So, and, so and that Star worked because it was, it was done... actually funny and you knew the characters well enough for it to actually work, you know? I mean, yeah. like sometimes it's the only logical conclusion is hijinks order. That was a great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny too about Tapring is that um, there are certain phrases that she uses on the show, like saying the hijinks, and um, she refers to gallivanting. My wife uses hijinks and gallivanting against me all the time. And so, like, both times, because she's never watched a Star Trek with me, but she'll be in the room. Both times, like, when she said gallivanting, she was like, ah because ah, she accuses me of gallivanting all the time so um but uh so that was kind of funny for me that um just a little inside thing but so you you did like the comedy episode though i did i liked every episode except for the except fairy for the fairy tale ryan what were your uh favorite episodes well that was a great segue because another thing that Tapring says in that fifth episode is parted from me and never parted that right. greeting that those two have. And uh, okay, so Dave rightly predicted that I was going to love Memento Mori, which was episode four, which you guys just talked about. And I did. I liked every episode. I liked the fairy tale episode for a lot of the same reasons that Sarah and, and Dave pointed out. Uh, I understand uh, why one may not like that episode, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but my absolute favorite episode surprisingly uh because the, the comedic episodes aren't usually my favorites but episode five was was my favorite and it, it's because it did a few things one was yeah we, we were deep enough into the season and it had enough stakes and seriousness and tone that we could have a fun episode um i have a huge soft spot for the body swap genre of uh accidental unintentional body swaps uh, from the 80s of you know kirk cameron and uh, Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold and you know it's a whole mini genre so I love that we had a body swap episode I love that the body swap also included a gender swap which is fun especially when it's two Vulcans uh, I love that that episode gave us not one not two but four different versions of Spock because in the dream sequence we get a we get a fully human Spock which I believe is the first time we've seen without pointy ears uh, full human Spock. I'm sure someone listening to this will correct me if there was somewhere in canon where that's happened. Um, well, in, we, the, in the other episode where they were breaking into the prison planet or the prison on that planet, and his hog, his hog, they got the shot. Oh, the right, the hog, yeah, the hog, yeah. But this was like, you know, he was a fully human Spock. It was real, mm-hmm. air quotes. But yeah, we got fully human Spock, fully Vulcan Spock, regular they Spock. The, the original fight scene music from the. Yeah, from, there were so many, so many great musical cues that were in that episode that were familiar but new, and uh, yeah, and also to, to finish my four Spocks, we also got um, Spock uh, in to Pring's body. Uh, it, it was, you know, fan service is something that gets talked about in every fandom, uh, usually in a you know derogatory, dismissive sort of way, and I, I think that true fan service, when it, at, at its worst, is when it is there purely to go oh look you remember this thing you like that um but i think that it's when it's earned is a different story and then i would add a third instance of fan service which is when it's um easter eggs that are truly easter eggs that are really inconsequential to the main story where a casual viewer can watch it not pick up on that thing 
and it, it's not taking anything away from their experience that they didn't notice that. And I thought that this episode, I mean, from the title of the episode on through to, I, this is one where I, I made notes about it because I liked it so much. Um, so many little Easter eggs and, and callbacks. Uh, you know, we were talking about the animated series and whether or not it's canon. You know, this episode gave us a reference to uh, Spock's pet, which uh, is which is mentioned, uh, but uh, but is only seen, I think, in the in the animated series. Uh, you know, we got Pike and the the green sort of wraparound tunic thing, the 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 variation that, of course, Kirk wore in the original series. Um, Wait, Downey, should I admit that I know that his pet please. name is, is Kaya? Thank you. Thank Kaya, you. Spock's pet. So I, I'm, I'm right that the, the pet's in, uh, we only see it in the animated series, right? Yes, the pet is only in the animated series, yep. Um, I liked the Enterprise bingo. I just sort of still, I mean, any episode that's really, this is the opportunity. You know, we were talking about the, the military setting too much, too little. Um, this is like, this is like, oh, wait, 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 I have to correct. The pet was mentioned in Journey to Babel. Yeah, mentioned, but not, but not seen. But not seen. Only seen in the animated series. Yes. Um, Enterprise Bingo was fantastic. That was yeah, this is your classic shore leave episode. Right. Like, and, and, that, and that's, those are always fun because those are opportunities to see characters in a different light, to see them relax, to see different characters interacting with one another that you might not be used to seeing interacting with each other or, or in quite the same way. Uh, you know, seeing the doctor going off and going fishing, which, you know, I, I would prefer would be some sort of holodeck fishing as <laughs> opposed to actual fishing. But, uh, you know, that's a nitpick. There's a lot of eggs getting broken in Star Trek these days and animals being hunted and things I don't generally approve of. But I think I think the introduction of the idea that everyone's fighting over money again is probably the worst. But uh, anyway, I digress. That's my favorite episode. Episode um, five. Yeah. Fun episode. Also on the... Uh the the thing of the enterprise bingo was great enterprise bingo was great it was like such a human thing and um in the penultimate episode when when uh spock has to buy the new lieutenant a drink because he calls him ensign and he says is there no end to your human drinking games (laughs) it's like (laughs) such a great he's so annoyed he's so great Um, And and i love in the enterprise bingo also we get that really great you know i'm not a big like Oh, this visual effect shot is so amazing. I'm just, I've just never really been one of those people. I, I prefer editing. You know, I always think that the better stuff is the stuff you don't necessarily notice because it's done so well and so seamlessly. But I did really enjoy. Um, I mean, who doesn't love the idea of two characters standing on top of the Enterprise while it's in space? Right. You know what I mean, just being like, just standing on top of the Enterprise and writing my name on something like that was just. That might have been my favorite scene in that episode, even. Yeah, and the great. idea that there's a plate on the deck that a bunch of people have signed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a really nice touch. Really yeah. Well, and people. and I think it the other thing that's doing as a prequel is it's adding weight to the Enterprise itself because mm. every once in a while I think to myself, this is the same ship that Kirk is going to sacrifice in Star Trek Three to save Spock. And you know, I just have that thought sometimes. Every once in a while, it's, yeah, it, it got retrofitted and all that, but it's the same ship. And I think that's meaningful. Yeah, for me, uh, top episodes, um, obviously, uh, ep- episode four. Uh, first of all, Balance of Terror is my favorite all-time Star Trek. Okay, and um, 
the the thing that I'm going to admit to is that I wrote my first attempt at my Strange New Worlds spec when um, all we knew were character names. And then I, I went back and rewrote it once I learned the characters. Um, but I had always wanted something that was submarine battle-y and they did it twice. And not only, I thought that they did Balance of Terror very well in episode four, and then little did I know they were literally going to remake Balance of Terror, um, which is fantastic. So obviously those two are, but for me, the, um, the spaceship, well, I mean, Wrath of Khan's my favorite for that reason, too. The spaceship strategy, the, the submarine strategy thing, which all goes back to, by the way, Balance of Terror is just a remake of a 1957 movie called The Enemy Below. And if you go back and watch The Enemy Below, um, when people say like, oh, Star Trek just remade Alien in that penultimate episode. I mean, the, like, literally Balance of Terror has lines of dialogue straight Ali- up. Aliens. Yeah, aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they straight up, like, the enemy below has, like, the whole storyline with the two commanders, and they're plotting with each other, and then they, like, they, they're, one of them has to save the other one at the end, and he says, in another world, we could have been friends. Like, literally, in that movie from 1957, it's exactly the same. And, you know, it, I, whatever. Anyways, but the Memento Mori... It's it's like balance of terror with a horror movie with that that's that's scary and um, I rewatched it yesterday and it's the fourth time I've watched it and it still works um, and also the fact that an Ethan Peck if you want to fall more in love with Ethan Peck than you already are in in the Ready Room interview he's talking about the scene where he has a really emotional scene with Pike. And he says, well, yeah, it's good to have a scene like that. So you're not just always talking about gravitational redshift. And the fact that he was referring to with the exact science behind the Pike maneuver in that interview when he's already filmed a whole nother season of Strange New Worlds, I thought that was impressive. The, the science actually makes sense for to, within a Star Trek context. And the fact that they that they had an escape that wasn't a nebula, that was a black hole. And probably my favorite Spock moment and the whole thing is when Pike says, you're right, Enterprise has to go deeper. And Spock turns around, scared out of his mind and says that that was not a suggestion is absolutely one of my favorite moments of the season. It's great. It's a great Spock moment because it's a different Spock because he still has the ability to be terrified because I think if Kirk said that in the future, he may have turned around and said, I suggest, I do not suggest that we do that captain, but I don't think he would have been freaked out. And that shows the difference that shows growth. And that's the thing. Um, a nitpick that I have is um, as much as, and we're, we're going to get this, the other favorite episode, of course, the horror episode with the Gorn. And we'll talk about that. Hemmer was one of my, uh, favorite characters on the new show um i did not like losing hemmer um i did not like the context of it it was you know i think that they gave he they let him give up a little too easy what is the is there some backstory here that you guys know about that i'm not aware of like did the actor have another job or something like why in the world did they kill one of the best characters for no apparent reason maybe he hated the makeup he was like, I, this is itchy. I can't do this anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I had the same yeah. thought. I was like, there has to be, 
some other no, they told him they told him his arc from the beginning they 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 had that planned why <laughs> like well, like we've got stranger things where they you know you you couldn't kill someone if you wanted to and then you've got uh this where they kill okay i think they wanted stakes they wanted they wanted us to know that some of the characters on the side that we you know that and they wanted to have real stakes for and i think her his role and uhura and i love that uhura called them um what did she call a uh, uh, hemner uh, uh, whatever she combined their names in some really great way it was great and but man um, and that that funeral was so painful to the other two red shirts who died <laughs> you know it's like yeah. Yeah, they didn't talk about that. talk about this one guy that died and never mentioned the two people well you knew those got to love that tradition it was his first that away team mission too and he yeah totally. that, that's Sorry. that's real fan service <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> dismissively yeah. forgetting about red shirts. Well, and um, yeah, I, yeah, the Hemner Hem Hemmer thing was was hard, and not just because I wrote him in my script that I wrote uh, for for my uh, my Strange New World, but um, I'm gonna leave him there because it's just a writing sample, anyways. And um, but the the thing with Hemmer Hemner, I keep saying his name wrong, Hemmer is that I think it was interesting to have a character who was, I know he's not directly Andorian, he's from the offshoot species, but he's from Andoria. And um, the Enar, like being pacifists created a, a, an interesting thing. And again, that's the character who, that's a species who was just kind of tangentially in Enterprise. So to give, to give them a character, that was cool. And, but I also liked that the relationship that Spock, I wish they had had more time with Spock and, and, and Hemmer because like the one scene that they had, I mean, who doesn't love Spock throwing carrots? Um, it's just great. So, um, all right. So I think we've gone through favorite episodes. Let me, um, I closed my notes, which was a bad idea. So let's talk about some of the Easter eggs and things. Oh, I got to talk about the pirate episode. I love the pirate episode too. But the stones on this writing team to put Cybok as a, um, you know, as a cliffhanger at the end. I'm surprised we didn't get another Cybok episode at the end of this season, but I'm sure we're going to get Cybok, more Cybok next, next season. But um, the fact that that movie and that character was so hated to to like make me actually be excited that they showed cybok i literally pumped my fist when i watched that episode that morning um because i was like yes they did it partially because and this is kind of an inside thing for me uh greg cox who's a star trek writer from the minute they introduced that burnham was spock's sister he was jokingly posting on facebook like you know um bring cybok back you cowards and like he would constantly say, bring Cybok back, you cowards, and it was jokingly. And so um, when it happened, I was like, they did it. <laughs> they did it. My first, my first reaction to that episode, Cliffhanger, was I, I think I wrote to David and said, oh crap, does this mean I have to rewatch Star Trek V now? <laughs> right. No, you don't. You don't have to. Yeah, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know that the original idea was to cast Sean Connery as Cybok. I did not know that. 
How hilarious would that have been? <laughs> he would have been suddenly Scottish for no reason and like, you know, whatever. Anyways, uh, okay, so funny. Uh, let's see, we got, I think we got most of the Easter eggs. Um, where do you think we go from here? Um, I've had people ask us, do you think that there's enough um, to carry on a couple seasons? And of course there are. There was, there, um, Spock served with Pike for 11 years. We're halfway through that. We've got five years. Who's to say a season doesn't necessarily represent each of those years so we can get all kinds of stories. We have five years of the Enterprise going around. Um, and it's clear that you know, they, it can take a beating and go to the space dock and get rehabbed. Um, so, um, I think we, there's plenty, we can go from here. Where do you guys want to see season two go? We know it's already in the can filming wise and they're doing post-production now, starting with Sarah. Uh, I hope they try to make the Una subplot a little more believable. I did not believe it at all that she would be sent to a penal colony for seven years just for lying when Starfleet has a history of forgiving, you know, fairly major uh, infractions by well-decorated officers, especially if it works out for them in the end. And the fact that she had made it as far as she did to be, you know, uh, as decorated as she was and as loved as she was, and then, you know, have us believe they would do that. Like she would be kicked out of Starfleet for sure. Just kicked out. But a penal colony? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't buy that in a million years. And so I, I'm very interested to see um, how they handle that in season two. And, you know, hopefully it involves, it also like, I also didn't buy that, that, you know, the alternate history version of Lahan, Lahan would just be like, oh yeah, no, I, of course I haven't talked to her. Like she would have left Starfleet. Like you know, for, for they, they made this big deal out of this relationship that Una and, and uh, Lahan have. And then we're supposed to believe that Lahan just lets this happen and doesn't really sour towards Starfleet that they sent this really wonderful, caring, really good Starfleet officer to a penal colony for lying about something that is for very sympathetic reasons she would lie about. And oh, by the way, she's also among the last of her kind and we're supposed to believe that Starfleet is going to not be at all sympathetic about that. And we're supposed to believe that characters wouldn't, you know, have, you know, automatically fought for her. And that, and, you know, there was also another little moment of, of, uh, of Pike at the end there where he almost creates a physical altercation where he like puts his hand on the shoulder and that like, and everybody's just like, okay, sure, that's fine. He gets no, he, like, he, bent the, he like bent the security guy's arms back in like a lock of some sort, you know, like that was like, yeah. Like yeah. I just, I just, I require a little bit more consistency than and, that. And, and we all know that sometimes you just get bounced back from Admiral to Captain because people like calling you Captain. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, in the beta canon, she became a Captain. Um, now, uh, what that means nothing but yeah i would like to see that start well we're definitely going to see that probably the first episode start to play out but remember with lanon she um hates genetic engineering um because of her connection to like her family name and like basically it would be like if you're you had a ancestor who was a nazi and you go way overboard i mean you obviously hate nazis but it's you know she's like I think she was trying to distance herself. So I think 
she might not forgive uh, Una for that. That might not, that might be what they're setting up with there. Um, I think they're going to deal with it in the next yeah. season. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I hope that they do deal with it. It's just yeah. asking a bit much of us, uh, you know, to, to create that relationship. Because if anyone, you know, if she could see past those prejudices in anyone, it would be in her friendship with Una. But I mean, yeah. I also just to amplify, there's no way Pike lets people come on board his ship and arrest his first officer for this. Like that just didn't feel right at all. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's the exact same uh, cliffhanger ending to a season that Lower Decks had, by the way. He's um, done with that girlfriend, though. You know that they're never gonna they're never gonna bang again after that. Yeah, yeah, the other captain. Yeah, um, yeah, that that might be a problem. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I really. It, it, but it is the same ending as Lower Decks because Lower Decks they take the captain away. I can't remember what her crime was, but. Um, but she did something. So yeah, that's kind of interesting too. And, um, but as far as where I'd like to see them go, I'd like to see, um, I mean, obviously I love the Spock centric storylines. I, I, Cybok go running around with a, you know, non-binary pirate is man, what's going on with Sarek's family? <laughs> like Sarek's family is a hot mess. Um, you know, for, for a guy who's an ambassador, he's got a, a an adopted daughter who's a secret. Um, now he's got, I don't know. Anyways, Sarek, I mean, hey, get your freak on, Sarek. I'm cool with it. Like, you know, it is the 23rd century, right? So, um, but here's the thing as far as going forward, I would like to see that Cybox storyline do more. I would like, and I definitely, I'm trusting these writers to do, you know, cool storylines. I would like to see the Klingons, the aftermath of the Klingon war. I would like to see that a little bit. Um, Wait, aren't we before the Klingon war or whatever? Like, I think no. we're after because didn't, didn't after. Spock yeah. reference after. it at one point? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Cause yeah, because the Enterprise missed it. Now I just read the novel, the the beta canon novel that explains where Enterprise was. And um and and it's that's called the Discovery War. It's it's actually really good, but um, but and it explains that they were they basically were on a mission and got the ship got captured and they had to fight back for it, and they were and that lasted like six, seven months. And they I thought them. I thought the Federation of the Klingons were actively at war during the original series. Am I just remembering that wrong? No, it's a Cold War. It's a Cold War. Okay. Yeah. And um, so we're so I mean they're in the aftermath of the main Klingon war. Uh, so there should be some tensions there. Um, my main thing is more episodes like episode four that make space a real thing. You, I've said this many times. I want Star Trek to actually be in space where they take space seriously and the amount of time it takes to get places <laughs> and things. I just I just want more of that. That's all that's all I want. But I mean, we could also talk about where we want Star Trek to go in general because this is the first time in 30 weeks where there is not a new episode of Star Trek. So uh that's you know 
an unusual state for us nerds right now. And um, I think we're going to get another Star Wars series before we get another Star Trek, which is Andor. But um, but yeah, so that's where I wanted to go. Issa, where do you want Strange New Worlds to go? So uh, I guess the, the plot that I am most interested in is the Gorn and what they're going to do with that. Um, I, I feel like they're sort of, you know, every well, whatever, you know, next, I'll just talk about next generation had the, had the Borg, you know, and they're sort of setting up the Gorn as the Borg of Strange New Worlds in the sense that they're this like super powerful, we are no match for them alien race, um, which I sort of get annoyed by because they haven't really, at least so far, they haven't convinced me that that's believable, you know? Like, like the reason Aliens, I mean, this was, you know, and I, I really love, someone is a huge James Cameron fan on that show. Um, they had the whole Terminator 2 thing, maybe fate is what we make of it or whatever line uh, in one of the earlier episodes. And then they also had, uh, you know, ba- they basically remade Aliens complete with like little girl who had survived the, uh, you know, whatever. And I thought that was really And nice. George Kirk being Bill Paxton. Basically. Yeah, totally. <laughs> game over, man. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he basically uh, <laughs> was the game over, man. God. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I thought that was cool, but it's just, you know, okay, fine. The Gorn can, you know, this, at a certain level, a non-technological species just shouldn't be scary. You know, like, uh, I'm not going to be scared of being attacked by lions if I have, you know, a whole bunch of guns or whatever. Right. Yeah, but the Gorn are a technological species. You just saw their babies. That yeah, no, 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 babies. I understand. But it was just, and it was, the threat is a little unrealistic, you know, I, like. I'm on, I'm on a thread with a, a bunch of, that's mostly Star Trek writers and us super nerds. And there was a whole argument about whether the Gorn developed technology or whether they stole the, their technology. Mm-hmm. And that it is more, and everyone agrees it is more likely that the Gorn were like hunted by a technological species and took them over and stole their technology. No, and okay, I, fair, fair enough. But like the threat of the Borg where- uh, To get really nerdy on you. Has the, I'm gonna get even nerdier. The for, threat for of the, the Borg- first were, time ever. Yeah, But the Borg being a technologically uh, superior species with better technology, that makes it believable that they're scary. The the reason that aliens worked so well in terms of believing that animals, you know, basically could fight these like well-armed Marines was they, there was a nuclear reactor that was going to explode if they used heavy weapons. They couldn't use any heavy weaponry and they were taken by surprise. And, you know, the alien blood was acid and all, all this stuff. They just weren't prepared. They had really bad leadership and they had a traitor amongst them. That's why it worked. Right. So Star Trek people with all their Star Trek tech, shouldn't be scared of any non-technological threat like it's just not realistic at all that like that uh you know a wild animal or whatever even if it's very clever is is going to be a threat all the technology in the world can't stop a hurricane for example well Uh, that's not true at all she a deflector shield can stop a hurricane (laughs) i'm just saying that there's certain things i think that primal nature of the gourd it works for me i'm fine with that I, yeah no, I no, want... i'll give you some special disbelief but i i find it i found it a little ridiculous that these little tiny gourd babies were like just taking people out like they're freaking ant-man or something you know like like do they have super strength like what's the deal there <laughs> you know like that like well how are the little babies able to drag that woman across the floor and all that stuff like i didn't get that 
I also in my head canon, the Gorn that Kirk fought in Arena is a senior citizen Gorn. (laughs) (laughs) That's my head canon. He's their elder. He's he was their ultimate leader. They sent the the elder of the species. The two hundred and thirty year old Gorn who's like, "Uh," you know, (laughs) he's like he's like a Viking that wants to die in battle. No, I don't mind that part, but it's it's just like you know, again, you're you're not scared of like you know whatever the scariest thing would be with no technological weapons if you have a phaser you know it's just not it's not very believable uh dowdy where do you want to see uh strange new worlds go um i would love uh, a few things um one of the things that i love about episodic storytelling and that star trek has always been great about buffy the vampire slayer was very great about x files you know was very like definitive here where it's you know mythology each mythology episodes you get your standalone episodes um i would like to see that continue i think there's a lot of opportunity for great standalone episodes and i would like to see character focused uh standalone stuff where it's like okay this episode is going to be about this character you know the a story is going to be this character and it's going to have a beginning middle and end that's going to wrap up by the end of this episode um and you know pepper out you know, some other stuff that has the connective tissue uh, for the whatever the season's trying to do. But I like to see more of those kind of episodes. Uh, I'm curious, you know, from a, a super dorky fan service uh, area, you know, we did hear a Scottish accent coming out of engineering and with our engineer heroically self-sacrificing to whatever to get rid of the, the alien babies. Um, uh, you know, are we going to get uh, Mr. Scott? Is he going to be our, is he, is this going to, and not to say that I want to see the show gradually introduce every single character from TOS, but um, you know, it'd be fun to get a Scotty. Uh, we're also, de- we're if, definitely getting a Scotty. I don't know how they avoid that at this point. If we are. Hopefully it'll be a really Scottish person. Right. <laughs> no more Scottish erasure. Cultural yeah, they, they've, the they've hinted that they want to do Scotty at some point, but I've always thought Scotty came with Kirk, my personal opinion, but um, we know McCoy did. So we're not getting McCoy. And look, and this show has a way, one thing that, uh, you know, both delighted and annoyed me simultaneously about TNG was the original setup was like, this is a flash forward. It's way far in the future from everything we've known. And then they already cheated right away by going here's a thousand year old DeForest Kelly like you know McCoy is somehow still alive and I was like all right one guy and it's like oh no no Vulcans have longer lifespans here's Spock and he looks the same but it was like eventually okay Scotty's been trapped in the transport like it was like they eventually and this show has a much better opportunity in that because it's a prequel it can much more believably it doesn't have to contrive so hard to introduce you know, uh, of course, we're not necessarily going to get actors from the original series, but to get, you know, that's characters. one of those I can't argue with, but I loved all of those. When they yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it was, yeah. it was each time they did, it was so stupid and it was always stupider than the time before. Right. And it was like, awesome. you can, you can grant them one and then it's like, okay, two, but then it like, they just kept doing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would like to see more character driven uh, standalone stories. And if Kirk is going to be a reoccurring presence in season two you know it would be fun to see the kirk spock relationship and its early beginnings and to see kind of how they play with that and yeah 
Oh, and I have to ding the show for one thing that I for almost forgot, which is the episode with the, the there's an episode with the planet with the the kid who sacrifices himself. Okay, that is a oh, yeah. that is a hundred percent a ripoff of an Ursula K. Le Guin story that's a spinoff of the dispossessed. I'm brain farting the name of the short story, How but dare it's, you? How dare you forget that? I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like the most inside most baseball reference ever. It's like, You're like children of something, down. isn't it? Children of something or other. Uh, I'm, I'm totally brain farting the the name of the story, but anyways, it's one of her most famous stories, which is the uh funny you're thing. in the you're in the layer of inception right now where it's just ultra slow motion yeah <laughs> <laughs> seven layers into this reference anyways it was so much like that story that i was sitting there like with my eyes like at first i was like oh this is a great homage to ursula Le Guin," and then i thought about it and it's i saw many writers say she deserves story by credit on that and there is precedent for that in Star Trek. Uh, Frederick Brown was a, a pulp sci-fi writer from the 40s who wrote a story that's almost exactly the same as Arena. Don't forget and, about Harlan and Terminator. Well, right. Got and, his name um, on there. Right. And Frederick Brown, that got a story credit on Arena because one of the, one of the producers told Gene Kuhn, like, hey, this is a great script, but it's exactly like a story I read in the 40s. In a pulp magazine... And they literally bought the rights to that story and gave Frederick Brown credit. Um, and they really deserve to give a nod to Le Guin's um, estate for that story because the whole story is the exact same setup with the one kid that sacrifices himself to keep the maintain the whole thing. I mean, there was no Captain Pike having a relationship with the lady or whatever. So it, they Star Trek eyes it, but the concept was literally the Ursula Le Guin story and the ones who walk away from Omelas. Yes. Yep. That's the one. I can't believe you couldn't remember that off the top. Yeah. Yeah. Offensive. I know. (laughs) Getting posed back science fiction wise, but uh, as we would say in Indiana, um, uh, Ryan, that was a fairly trust move on my part, not knowing. Yeah. I just unbelievable. Unbelievable, um, but yeah. So the Le Guin story does deserve credit there, and that was kind of a thing. Like I would like to see now, and this may sound self-serving as a science fiction writer, but um, in the, the one of the things the original series did that Roddenberry did was that he took he took um, the cage out to science fiction conventions and showed it before. You know, it was a thing. He took a black and white. Like I wrote a thing about the number of the, the authors who wrote Foundation, Dune, Stand on Zanzibar, they all sat in the same audience together and watched Star Trek together for the first time in Cleveland, which is really mind-blowing, right? Yeah, and, I think, I think Dwight was there. Yeah, Dwight definitely was <laughs> not there. But uh, good reference, though. But so in, in Clevo, they had this convention and Gene Roddenberry went out and gave cards to a bunch of science fiction writers who who were there who ended up writing episodes harlan ellison norman spinrad um science fiction authors who didn't get episodes made but wrote treatments uh robert sheckley a.e von vote like all these classics and you know and that's one of the things i'm researching soon is all those treatments are at the ucla archive and um and you know 
eventually I'm going to read them all. But here's the thing. What's cool is that Roddenberry, because he learned from Rod Serling, who hired Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont and George Clayton Johnson for the Twilight Zone, you know, um, he'd hired all those guys for the Twilight Zone. I would like to see Strange New Worlds, and they only have 10 episodes, but you could do this in beta canon by hiring like serious, real big name science fiction writers to write side books or episodes or collaborate on ideas to get strange new worlds to be even more science fiction because when it went really science fiction with episode four i was super into it so i'd like to see that oh and another is it it possible to grab some of those unmade treatments and adapt them into episodes of current trek shows especially the ones that take place in that timeline of course you could if you went Ryan, I've got ideas, but like, so Mm, chin stroke. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so there's, uh, yeah, those archives are there and some of them are that we know things about them. Like the A. Von Vogt wanted to do one where Spock got turned into a giant and they just told him like, no, we don't have the budget to do that. Right. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, Philip Jose Farmer is another famous science fiction writer who wrote three treatments for for episodes that didn't get made and it's really cool oh and that reminds me too um another easter egg deep dive reference the season finale episode for strange new worlds a quality of mercy is the same title as a season three episode of the twilight zone that starred a young leonard nimoy so Hmm. that is a episode is that i don't remember it it's the one with the pilots that um, that there's the Japanese pilots and they're on the same island, the, the paratroopers and the, I'm not going to go fully into it. You should go back and watch okay, it. I will. But it has the exact same title as the season finale of, of Strange New Worlds, Quality of Mercy, and Leonard Nimoy was in it and um, uh, playing a soldier. But... So that's another, uh, so I'll make up for my Ursula Le Guin thing by referencing that Twilight Zone. And it was funny too, because um, I only, I remembered the episode once I looked it up, but when I put in the title into IMDb, that the Twilight Zone one came up and I was like, holy shit, I remember that one. That's Leonard Nimoy was in that one. George Sakai was of course famously in one too, and Shatner obviously in two, so. A lot of yeah, those. yeah, Sakai was in that that episode. Um, mm-hmm. God, I forget what it's called, but it's amazing. Yeah, we're yeah. used to. And Shatner, by the veteran. way, used to hang out at a bar with the Twilight Zone writers, mm-hmm. like that because they were all into fast cars and weird shit. And so they would drive cars with Shatner, which is like a really weird, funny thing. That awesome. um, and when my research for an article I did on Twilight Zone writers, they talked about this bar they hung out at with Shatner and that and we know for a fact that Rod Serling was the reason was the inspiration for Roddenberry telling Roddenberry you should go to science fiction conventions you should hire science fiction writers you should do that that's a really smart move and I just wish modern Trek would do that we there's plenty of tv writers and that was the problem with the modern Twilight Zone that Jordan Peele did is he hired a bunch of tv writers instead of genre writers and what you need is you need short story genre writers to do the Twilight Zone. You need it. You if, can't only we, if, if only we knew at least one of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, now. So, um, 
all right on that fun note i i could go on on that all day so let's let's wrap up a little bit um we talked about where we wanted to go with things but how about um well let's talk sarah how people can find you what what kind of stuff you do online and then um where you want to see the entire star trek universe go like what would you like to see star trek do uh with like pitch me a series that we need that we don't already have since we have so many series um i've always been very i'm i'm totally interested in in the star trek 90210 that we will get eventually the <laughs> the one about starfleet academy that we will absolutely get and you know i just hope that it's more along the lines of the current vein of quality rather than something that like that looks like the cw put out um and you know because that's totally a possibility and that is one of the ones that is supposed to be in the pipeline we were supposed to get a michelle yo uh standalone series i don't know what happened to that it was a great idea everybody loves michelle yo what the fuck i've been waiting for that for years um, well yeah, uh, I, everything everywhere all at once doing so awesome is not helping yeah well and it is it is and it isn't but anyway it's making her more expensive yeah well it's making her more expensive but it also is making her sort of more like i now i've started to think of her as like a science fiction actress yeah which is weird because i you know i thought of her as like i obviously i saw her first time with like everybody else when she did crouching tiger hidden dragon and you know i thought of her in that vein and so now i sort of think of her as a science fiction person so Anyway, hopefully seen, that'll happen. Have you ever seen the heroic trio with Michelle Yeoh, Sarah? Nope. Uh, I'm I'm assigning you the heroic. Send me a trio. link. Send me a link. I'll forget. Uh, I'll totally forget the name of it's that. Her it's her 1993 link, okay. Hong Kong uh, super female superhero team up movie, and it's I'm, incredible. I'm sold. I'm already sold. I'm there. Yeah. And the villain has a flying guillotine. So. Well, there you go. That's yeah. That's that's all. That's fantastic. Um, also, I would just like to complain about the fact that we could have had an Australian nurse chapel. We don't have enough Australians in Star Trek. We don't have enough Kiwis in Star Trek either. And yeah, we had Chris Hemsworth for five seconds. For five seconds, <laughs> exactly. And so like, like I just, I, it's one of those things where like they clearly gave her an American accent so that she'd be more like, like our chapel. And it's like, Come on, that's totally one of the things that you could have uh, changed without anybody getting like I I I do worry sometimes that Strange New Worlds is sort of trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator of fan because you will never please those people anyway. The people who want everything to be exactly the same, you're just you're not going to please those people. So why why bother? And so when I saw her interviewed, I was like pissed that we did not get an Australian nurse chapel because that would have been cool as hell but anyway that's a total you know pet peeve of mine that that i have an issue with well she wasn't australian in the original series so i i get it but that's what i'm I, saying though like, like why why does it matter there's nothing to her character that I think matters that she, that she was, was an american i think they felt that that they were already worried that she was too attractive and they felt the accent would just push it over the top. That's my theory. That's so. true. She does do weird things to my Kinsey scale. <laughs> well, 
Um, by the way, her best look was the goggles in the second to last episode. I'm surprised. I expect to see a lot of cosplay of Nurse Chapel landing party with goggles. But um, uh, Issa. Oh, wait, Sarah, where can people find you? Ah, uh, probably Facebook. I'm on Twitter for probably two minutes per day. I exist there, but it's like tumbleweeds. So I spend more time on Facebook. All right. And um, uh, we discovered each other through Star Trek shit posting, which is, of course, uh, uh, which I unfortunately uh, introduced to Issa's life as well. <laughs> so now he's- I'm enjoying it. I have so. a love-hate relationship with it. It's a great yeah. place and it's a horrible place at the same time. Anything it's, can happen at any moment. It's very hard to keep up with. And uh, I, it makes me feel very old. Uh, and i made a meme i made an original meme okay and they put it on post approval i posted it as as oc they always say if you want your content to be like mark it as oc if it's oc because it has more of a chance of getting posted so i marked it as oc i made it and then because while i was waiting while it was in post approval i posted it on my wall and i posted it on twitter and somebody who is a mutual friend took it from my wall and posted it to Star Trek ship posting and they approved her post right away. And then they told me, oh no, only originals you've, and I was like, oh my God, I made that. <laughs> See, and I'm just sitting here finally realizing that OC that everyone parentheses everywhere is original, original content. content. See, now. You, and you thought it was Orange County this whole time. I was like, yeah, why are they all <laughs> Orange County? What's up with that? You know, like, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate Starfleet Academy oh. TV show. Yes, <laughs> the one that's like the OC. Totally. All right. Uh, yeah, Sarah, thank you for your point of view. I always enjoy it. You didn't have to do as much defending this time, you know. You, you, the, the Picard season two episode was <laughs> a lot of you con, con, trying to convince Isa and I to not hate it. And I didn't hate it. That's strong. I don't want to. Don't put it. You know what? I like. Season two of Picard less the more I think of it. Which Fair enough. Hard- I I would just say I haven't really thought spent much time thinking about it. But yeah, every time I think about it, I'm like, especially Strange New Worlds right after it, it's like yeah. made it worse for me because I was like, oh my gosh, what a failed opportunity. But that's just I, I don't want to digress there. We did a whole episode on that. I, I thought Sarah about the rise of Skywalker for like two, two months. It. So I get it. <laughs> when you when you're thinking when you keep real realizing new layers of how terrible something was i just like it more the more time goes on so well i'm glad i actually am really glad that people like that when when i complain about lower decks for example one of the things that i tell people all the time is i'm super stoked for people who love it unlike see like i can't stand the people that don't like last jedi who refuse to let us last jedi fans enjoy it they just like no, you're supposed to dislike it. Like, no, I'm super cool with you l- liking what I don't like. You know, it's fine. Um, you're Star Warsing wrong. That's I'm Star Warsing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, Isa, um, pitch me a Star Trek show, and where can people find you? All right, you can find to. me. You can find me on Facebook, but you don't want to. I'll just yell at you about veganism, complain about the government, and do other boring <laughs> stuff. Like that. You, don't, you don't want anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> So uh, what do I want in a Star Trek show? Honestly, 
I just want a, I just want a well-written, good story. Strange New Worlds is that, and it, give me more. Uh, you know, I wish that the other series had been as good as Strange New Worlds. I understand that's a high bar, but um, you know, it just one of the things that that Strange New Worlds did was really point out or make obvious how much Discovery had failed and how much Picard had could have been better. And you're just it, you're just wounding me over here. I know, I'm so sorry, Sarah. I just, I just, uh, I love Discovery, too, especially the first. No, no, I and don't get me wrong. I like those shows fine. I enjoyed Picard a lot. I really enjoyed some of Discovery a lot. But the last couple seasons of Discovery, I I felt like I'm just watching it because it's Star Trek. I like Star Trek, and it's like if I watch it or not it doesn't really matter. Stranger Worlds, I was actually excited for every episode and I really enjoyed watching the episodes, except for the- But characters. it has all the same flaws as Discovery. No, <laughs> That's no. the thing, it, it, like- No, 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 no way. It's so much <laughs> it more does. solidly done. Like it's it's not, I don't, I don't think they're comparable. Like one is definitely way better than the other, even though yeah. they're very similar, obviously as- Strange the- New Worlds is full of plot holes. It's full of characters suddenly deciding to talk about their trauma and I love it don't get me wrong but Not every criticism that people have leveled against discovery is in is present in strange new worlds every I, single I one just, I'm just going to disagree I think strange new worlds when they had serious the the like the bridged crew family stuff worked really well um and when they had serious things to do they did it serious things they didn't be like on Discovery, be like, we've got 10 seconds till all of the universe is destroyed. Let's have this conversation in whispers right now. You know, 10 <laughs> seconds, McGruber. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, you know, and I, season two of Discovery, which I thought was the high point, was fantastic. And it just, I, I you know, again, like David said with Last Jedi, I'm stoked that everyone likes any of the new Star Trek shows. Uh, I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone else's enjoyment, but I definitely, I personally enjoyed Stranger Worlds about 10 times as much as I've enjoyed the the only issue I have, or the only thing that I think, I like Discovery, but it has too many characters, and that's one of the flaws that I think Stranger Worlds showed, is that Discovery has way too many tangential characters and too much going on. They have too many people to deal with, I think, as part of the, this is one of the issues they have. Now, I love Discovery, I wear my Discovery hat all the time. I I represent for Discovery. Um, I think season two was their high bar, but you know, that just is- to go back to advertising own. It's my least favorite season. Season two is my least favorite season of Discovery really? because it's basically oh. the Captain Pike show. Exactly <laughs> why it's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if all you want from your Star Trek is a charming white male captain, why even bother watching new shows? Why not no, no, just watch I mean, the originals I, over I'm and just, over again? I, I appreciate where that criticism comes from, but I love Michael Burnham. I think Michael Burnham is the good thing about Discovery. Like, yeah, I don't uh, have a problem with Michael Burnham. What is bad about Discovery it's not even bad bad is too strong a word when we did the you know if if, just to advertise david's former pond old podcast i made a an excel sheet about how many main characters each star trek series had for that last one and discovery just had too many characters and it it was like significantly more characters than other shows so yeah but even that there's just as many characters in strange new worlds you just don't notice them because because it's episodic you never see them after the episode that they're in. I also think, I don't want to restart the whole podcast, but I think there's too much made about whether the show is episodic or not. It's 
not really episodic in the sense of um you know like a sitcom or something like they are definitely telling some some like longer story arcs in these in these episodes isa pitch me a new star trek show what where, where you want to go if they Ooh, give if uh, they hire you geez i'm totally failing on the spot here i feel like there are uh i would like to see something that's more i would like to see voyager done better if that is a if that is a fair thing to say but like the uh the idea that's of called like, prodigy prodigy is sort of voyager done better but but yeah a little different but but no the idea of like a ship that's really on its own and has to like you know find their way home i i realize that is exactly the plot of voyager but there was so much about voyager that didn't quite work for me that like a more serious version would be would be pretty cool um aside from that i'd like to see more movies i really think star trek works really well in movie format and i would i would very much like to see more movies of the shows that we have or you know or different things but that would be very cool oh a strange new world's movie i'd love to see that yeah yeah um all right Uh, i'm gonna go real quickly to let downey go last um obviously if you're here on my podcast you should know how to find me but um, the thing that I would like to see, and I say this all the time, I've said it before, I want a show set in the same era as Picard in the post-Romulan um, debacle with a investigative reporter, Jake Sisko, uh, serving on a ship full of like reporters like outside of Starfleet. I think it's time we had a non-Starfleet show set in Star Trek. And I think the way you do it where they're constantly trekking and going through space as if they're a, bu- if they're a team of investigative journalists going around the galaxy, investigating stories, and then end up in adventures. And you had the perfect character there with the character who was learning to be a journalist and Jake Sisko brings Sarah Lofton back. And then you got a Sisko in the show. Boom. Uh, that's what I would do. So uh, Downey. Love it. Are we're we're going to be somewhat similar in that uh, my pitch for a Star Trek show is also something non-Starfleet. Um, <clears throat> uh, you can find me at ryanjdowney.com on Instagram at ryanjdowney underscore and on Twitter at Ryan Downing. And I would say, and I, speak and destroy. You can, you can find you can find all that in in all of the above places. Um, I would I would say something I've always wanted to see. And this is maybe it's too, you know, I mean, there's so much Trek right now that maybe we could finally have something like this. I'd like to see something that is set on a specific planet and dealing with that particular civilization. Uh, Vulcan would be a great place. Um, I could see something that's Klingon oriented, but I'd like to take one of these great alien races from the lore and just spend a whole show with them you know, inter- interpolitics and workings and daily life. And, you know, there's, there could be occasional interactions with the broader Federation of planets, but that you're really just anchored in this one place and dealing with this one society, as opposed to gallivanting around uh, meeting new uh, people and places all the time. How so the cards on Vulcan? Why not? Yeah, I think right. I think it'd be interesting to see uh, even how 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 much Trek can sustain something like that, like a real deep dive into just a one culture, one planet, 
That's, that's really interesting. My my complaint about Deep Space Nine when it started was that I didn't like it's a fixed world. location, right? But by being but by being the kind of location it was, it was a place where lots of yeah. people were coming and going all the time. And I think even a place that doesn't have the constant travel back and forth. It's just you're just um, hanging there, out. With a there's a, a beta canon novel that I would suggest to you, um, Una McCormick, who's uh, really, she used to teach science fiction in England, but she wrote. Uh, it's funny because I, I had one of the funniest tweets ever with her the other day. She's obsessed with Garrick. Garrick's her favorite character. And I tweeted something about Garrick being a great character. And she replied within five minutes. And I said, Una, you are like, if you say Garrick three times in a mirror, <laughs> you appear. But she wrote a novel about Cardassia post. Dominion War with Garrick returning to try and rebuild the government that is really inspired by the Dispossessed, the Ursula Le Guin novel. And that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like super underrated for how great of a just science fiction novel it is that just happens to be in Star Trek with with Garrick. And I I've felt that like people don't real I need to reread it and I want to write a big article about how people don't realize how brilliant this media tie-in thing was. And she's done lots of, she did the autobiography of Catherine Janeway and she did um, the Picard prequel. In Indiana's own Captain Janeway. Yep, that's right. Uh, shout out to the uh, statue in Bloomington. Can't um, go two hours without mentioning that. <laughs> I almost no, got through. I almost made it without mentioning it. Dowdy did it first, but he's a Hoosier too. Um, so, uh, but yeah, um, I would say Ryan, she kind of does something similar to that with that book. Cool. Uh, you would really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, that sounds cool, Ryan. I actually, yeah, I dig it. I dig it. I dig everybody's ideas. Like it's great. I want more Trek. So um, 30 weeks in a row is not enough with the new Star Trek. We need to keep it going. So um, on that note, um, does anyone have any final statements they want to say? Speak now, forever hold your peace. This is your time to talk about strange new worlds i think we're good we talked for a long time all right you know you really annoyed me <laughs> no one did you annoyed the shit out of me god i i was so annoyed by it, it was so stupid yeah <laughs> it happens i thought i thought it was pretty entertaining ish it was my favorite of the oh. star wars shows for sure wow more than mando I, Amanda's fine, but I didn't really care. Like it wasn't super interesting. It was like the, the only thing that was really interesting about the show was that there was a baby Yoda. Um, you know, it was it was fine. It, it wasn't bad. I wasn't like I've I've, li I, I, I've liked all of the shows, although certain yeah. caveats about each, of course. Oh, yeah. I thought Boba Fett was no, that's a separate episode. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just, I, think, I think we can all agree that the Scooter Gang was stupid. I don't yeah, know. It'd yeah. be hard to find someone to defend them. Ryan, I think I think you and I need to get together and screen the final couple seasons of Vampire Diaries. Like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, wow. On that note, um, <laughs> I thought we stopped recording. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. It was my understanding that the recording was off at this point. So. All right. The recording is going off. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye.